This episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com slash better in the dark. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Sign up for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first book, just for trying out their service. Some of the available titles include The Cobra by Frederick Forsyth, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins, and Masters of Deception, The Gang That Ruled Cyberspace by Michelle Sotella and Joshua Quitner. So after you finish listening to BITD, why don't you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark and get your free audio book today. I don't want to go. We all feel better in the dark. Oh, are you taking the piss? Yeah. I'm gonna fuck you up. Oh, man. I'm gonna fucking kill you. He's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. But he's great. You know, he looks like the guy who wakes up in the morning. He reaches down, there's a bucket full of toots and cars. He pops right up. <laughs> and he's chewing it while he's walking to the bathroom. Bringing the noise since 07. Yeah. The BK wait all day with these two DJ and Ferguson here to teach you Death traps on a sure way to kill And Eva and Raquel not now, never will The boys don't play, bring on all flicks If you ain't coming with it, they will tell you that it's ish Great, great man, you will get applause And when we say Christabel, everybody please pause Clyde Barker, the musicals The man with the S to the Disney unusual Duck and cover when time's on the rant Or please sing along cause you know that they can't <laughs> So this one goes out to you and yours And all the great members of the message boards They call me B-Hyphen and it's time to start Cause we all feel better, better in the dark yeah, yeah. What are you actually called? What's your proper name? In the doctor? Yeah I can't go up to these guys and go Hey this is my new flatmate, he's called the doctor Why not? This is weird Is that what Time Lords do? Lop a bit off, grow another one? You like worms? No, 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 I'm unique. Never gonna know about me. Cause all that regeneration energy went into the hand. Look at my hand. I love that hand. But then you touched it. Wow! Shh! Instantaneous biological measure crisis. I grew out of you. Still could be worse. Oi, watch it, space man. Oi, watch it, Earth girl. Ooh. And until we get back in touch with you... Go watch that movie. Right, Davin? Didn't anyone tell you? There's one podcast you never stop listening to. If you value your pop culture knowledge, if you're movie savvy, if you have any plans about appearing erudite and clever at your next party, there's only one podcast you never, ever refuse to download. And what would that be? Better Better in in the the dark. dark. And before we forget, spoilers. (laughs) So, we are about to discuss something that came out fairly recently. So if you have not seen the recent episodes of Doctor Who Season 5... Turn this off right now. Turn this off right now. And if you don't, well, it's your own damn full fault. And yes, this is Better in the Dark. I am Tom DJ. And I am Dirk Ferson. And of course, because the last episode of Better in the Dark that talked about Doctor Who... Actually, was last week. But that actually focused on Doctor Who was some two and a half years ago. We decided that we need to bring in a third party like we always do. We always like to team up with Titanic... Well, mostly Titanic members of... That's saying that wrong, didn't it? <laughs> Get to the 
monkey. Into that fucking monkey. Okay. So we would like to invite somebody who I know a lot of people have been waiting to hear on Better in the Dark. The one, the only. You've heard him a lot on Used in the Long Box. You've probably read much of his work on the Once Upon a Geek blog. Give it up for Shag. Hello, and thank you for this opportunity. I'm looking forward to some good-natured, friendly, intelligent discourse with you fine gentlemen this afternoon. Then why are you here? Yes, unfortunately. Oh, damn, I'm in the wrong effing place. Irredeemable Shag. You know why Shag is irredeemable? Because nobody wants to pay his bottle deposit. Oh, my God. Exactly right. Exactly. (laughs) I am not worth shit at the grocery store. That's right. Thank you for having me on the show, guys. I'm looking forward to it. This when we first decided to revisit what we called Reversing the Neutron Flow, which was episodes 28 and 31, in case you want to go to our central site at bitdsite.com to download them. You were the first name that came up, because I know that you are a Doctor Who freak like ourselves. But before we begin, I do want to remind people that Better in the Dark is brought to you by audible.com, who invites you to try their service for free for 14 days, and download a free audiobook. Now, I took a look on their site this morning. Okay. And they have a lot of Doctor Who-related material, including audio adaptations of recent Doctor Who novels, like The Runaway Train, which is narrated by Matt Smith. Ah, the latest Doctor. Very good, by the way. Dead Air, narrated by David Tennant. Oh, okay. Night of the Humans, narrated by our very own Rory, Arthur Darville. And they have a whole lot of audio recreations of the lost episodes, like the Highlanders. Oh. They also have audio versions of Terror of the Autons and other older episodes. This is from the Patrick Troughton era. Yeah, a lot of them were lo- a lot of them were erased. Were, were erased. Yes. Yeah, because the BBC at that time didn't believe in saving its heritage, so they would just. Well, listen. To be fair, I think that if any of them had thought that people forty years later mm-hmm. would still be interested in this stuff and still watching it, they would have saved. Well, back you know. in 1960, 1970 was we need more tape. Erase phase three through seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And report to this studio. Mm-hmm. So if you go to www.audiblepodcast slash better in the dark, you can try out their service. It provides a whole slew of audiobooks available as MP3s for your iPod or MP3 player. So after you're done here with us, try it out. See if you like it. Try it out. Click through and get your free audiobook today. Sure, I'm going to go get me that one narrated by Matt Smith today. Okay. Matter of fact, I'm going to click it on All myself right. and get it. Run so we get ten bucks. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I get five bucks. You get to lose five bucks. Yeah, well, I'm used to that by now. <laughs> okay, so now when last we left, when last we left, the lands of Doctor Who, we had finished up with season three. Okay, now before. We go on our voyage for the next two... Would you count, Shag, the specials between seasons four and five as a season? I've kind of looked at it that way, but according to production notes, it is not. According to production notes, they are the end of season four. I look at it as a separate season. Well, we figured we'd spend a couple of minutes getting Shag's background so that he can justify being on the show to the listeners. Really, what I'm here is to sort of play good cop to Thomas's bad cop. And I feel like, really, one of the things I need to do is to help guide your listeners who have been misled <laughs> by Thomas's misinformation. We should mention he, that Chad is a Russell T. Davies surrender monkey. Don't interrupt the good guest host. Go ahead. Oh, I, I like Derek. I like Derek a lot. Go ahead, so, Shaz. Let's just take a little walk down memory lane. For those of you who would like to check out those previous Doctor Who episodes on Better the Dark, they're very good. And Derek is very interesting to listen to. 
Not Thomas so much, but just a couple. Ah, of shut up, you Avengers or United States stand apologists. Loving jelly baby eating Adric sucker. Shut your hole. I'm talking here, okay? Yeah, Adric could beat your rose any day. Oh my God! Okay, I like this, this guy. This is coming from the guy who said Doctor Who started in 1964. Did it really? Really? That would be effing wrong, Thomas. It's like most of your life, Shag. You seem to have a problem with numbers, my good friend. You, you told your poor fans that it started in 64. It started in 63. You told them that it started in 64 Trotters Lane. That's 76 Totters Lane. And then you told them the TV movie aired in 97, and that's 96. You need a calendar, man. Just go buy one. They sell tons of them. They even sell Doctor Who calendars. You're, it's just, it's embarrassing. He is, Derek so, is I, biting back the laughter. <laughs> set you guys straight to help get you on the right path of Doctor Who fandom. So... A little bit about my background. I've seen nearly every existing episode of the original series and seen every episode of the current series. There's just a few Hartnell and Trottens I haven't seen. I'd like to get around to it someday, but I keep falling asleep during the Hartnell ones. Seen all the spinoffs of Torchwood, most of the Sarah Janes. You guys mentioned Big Finish. Have you guys ever listened to any of the Big Finish? I audio? own quite a few of the Big Finish, actually. I haven't listened to them any the of them. The thing I love about the Big Finish is that there are certain doctors and companions that you've got to see, quote-unquote, what their interpretation was because, and I'm sure Shag will agree here. Those scripts were god awful dreadful during the John Nathan um, Turner era. Oh, definitely during the Colin Baker years. Yeah, the Colin it. Baker years. I mean, the last year of Sylvester McCoy is all pretty good, but most of the Peter Davison, all of the Colin Baker, and the first two seasons of Sylvester McCoy are absolutely dreadful. That's the greatest thing about Big Finish is Colin Baker got to yeah. shine. Not he, just Colin I, Baker. I, I, but Nicole O'Brien. Oh, yeah. You're a Colin Baker slut, and his episodes were awful, and I don't really, didn't even like some of his portrayal on television, but on audio, he's unbelievable. This he's is the so guy with the, crazy quilt, with the crazy quilt costume. Okay. Well, the yeah. funny thing is, yeah. is that I've shown some Colin Baker episodes to people who are fans of the new series, and they have said they liked the portrayal, but they couldn't get past the appearance. And I think that's probably why I've never seen any of the Colin Baker episodes, because I just look at that outfit, and I can't take him seriously. He looks like a clown threw up on him. Yeah. Yeah. What he like. I, I still suspect that by that time, John Nathan Turner was consciously sabotaging the show because he was so desperate to get off and do something else. Well, you know, Colin Baker, when they originally talked about costumes, he said he wanted sort of a all-black, turtleneck, kind mm-hmm. of dark poet-looking thing. And Say! Because <laughs> I've heard that his portrayal, at times, he's like downright psychotic. But that's what I like about him, is that it's like John Pertwee cranked up to 35. Totally, supremely confident in himself. Well, he was the James Bond. And almost disdainful of people who show weakness and stupidity. Mm -hmm. Colin, I find it interesting that that's your favorite, Thomas, because Colin's character is pretty much an ass, so it's kind of fitting that that would be your favorite. My personal favorite of the old school, actually, is Peter Davison. Which I know you are not fond of his era. I, I think I, Davison I, I, was an interesting character. I think that his era was hindered <coughs> by really poor scripts and overabundance of companions. I think that the fact there were three companions for most of that era wasn't he up to five at one time? No, no, he was only only went as far as three. But I think that it definitely cut back on Doctor Time. Well, yeah, because yeah. everybody had to have something to do. Right. And I think that the fact that John Nathan Turner decided he, this was going to be the vulnerable Doctor, this is going to be the Doctor who makes mistakes made him come off a lot worse than he really is. I think that Davison gives a good performance. And once again, the big finish allows us to see the performance 
bear without any of the John Nathan Turner Argle Bargle. Okay. Well, if they had just taken Adric out of the equation from the start, it would have mm-hmm. been much better. And, and I don't necessarily agree with what you said about him being good with Tom Baker. Adric was terrible from start to finish. The only reason Matthew Waterhouse got his job is he was boning JNT. So he was bad news all the way around. I don't know whether he stopped sleeping oh. with the producer, and that's why he got kicked off, but he was terrible. No, I think it was just because everybody hated him. Yeah. The fan, and I think also there was the famous Ralph Richardson incident, mm-hmm. where he was yeah, actively annoying the guest artists to mm-hmm. the point where they said... He's a liability. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. One of your favorite episodes, Visitation, there's a scene where they're jogging. Mm-hmm. You can actually hear Matthew Waterhouse puking off camera. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he had been out drinking the night before. See, I love the, I think of all the Peter Davison episodes, that's my absolute favorite. You know what's interesting about that? That was the first one they ever filmed with Peter Davison. Mm-hmm. Because they film them out of order. So right. To get them comfortable with the character. So that's kind of interesting that's your favorite. Big finish audio drums. I've got about 200 of those. Wow. I've got nearly 400 Doctor Who novels, and I've read the majority mm-hmm. of them. Uh, I've got just about every Doctor Who comic published in the USA. Did You mentioned Doctor Who Monthly, which later became Doctor Who Magazine. I collected right. that for about f- 15 years consecutively. Before the internet, that was where you got your yeah. Doctor Who news. Um, when I was a kid, I was a member of the Doctor Who Fan Club of America. I was a member of that, and also I think the Doctor Who Network. I was never a member of the Appreciation Society, but yeah. I always wanted to be. Anyway, I've got about 40 of the action figures, the role-playing games. I actually... Um, the first one, the FASA version. Did you yeah. try to play that? I could never get a group together. I read it, I did the pre reading I got ready for it, and I just... My friends always wanted to role-play Star Wars and didn't want to do Doctor <laughs> Who. So. It made my head hurt. I actually got a group together, and we actually tried to play it. We gave up after about an hour and a half because it was uh-huh. so There's complicated. Good material in there. I also hated the fact that the FASA supplements did things like perpetrate the whole the master is the meddling monk theory. See, I dug that theory back then. I'm glad it's not true now, but it was interesting speculation back then. I don't know if you've seen the new game out by Cubicle 7. I actually got to be one of the playtesters, and my Mm -hmm. name's in the book. Oh, cool. That's my cool bragging right. Woo-hoo, take that home with me, right? Did did the trading cards. I played the collectible card game. I actually own a 12-foot Tom Baker replica scarf that my great-aunt knitted for me. And I own a replica question mark handle umbrella from Sylvester McCoy. And and I'm just a big dork. That's me in a nutshell. I can hear the crickets. And as the tumbleweed slowly goes drifting down the streets. So... No, we'll start some shit. No, actually, I mean, listening to all that stuff that you've accumulated over time, I'm actually quite impressed with how much, especially the novels. Derek, 400? About 140 or 180 of those are the target novelizations. They're just novelizations of the original series. Okay. Um, the rest of it, though, would be original novels but that done by Virgin yeah. and then by BBC. Derek, you also got to realize that from 1990, was it, mm-hmm. through 2005, that and the big finish was all we had. It was all we had, right. That yeah. was what was sustaining the series. Well, Paul McGann, didn't he have a very extensive run, even though he did one movie? If you just go by the big finish, or yeah. just, he's actually yes. been the longest-serving mm-hmm. doctor. Starting with yes. big finish number 16, if I remember correctly. I'd have to stand up and yank the yeah. microphone out of the computer in order to reach that But part. they started yeah. doing seasons for Paul yep. McGann, which mm-hmm. were six back-to-back big finishes that represent each year's season. Right. He had his own companion, Charlie, who was mm-hmm. kind of like a proto, even your faced version of Rose. Okay. She really was. Oh, God, I hated her. I really liked Charlie, but you could definitely see all the stuff that uh, Russell T. Davies was using, it, it was being done in Big Finish before he got there. Yeah. So. See, those I'd really like to get, uh, oh, you get a hand on, because Paul McGann, I just saw the movie, and except for that stupid 
stupidity about him being half human. I really liked him, and I thought of that course, the guy got a raw deal that he never was able to. The ironic to, you thing know, is the half human uh, thing is the one thing from that movie that Russell T. Davies grabbed hold of and hugged tightly mm-hmm. and wouldn't let go of. Hey, Derek, Big Finish has a digital download distribution where you can download discs. Instead of buying the actual CDs, you can actually do digital now. Oh, and they cool. tend to put on sale, so you might be able to get some of those Palm McGinn's pretty good price. Yeah. And I'll tell you, he's one of my favorite doctors. He's that good. And I'll lend you a couple. Okay. Just a quick thought. We're going to do this podcast, but if you guys want to do another one another time, look at me offering myself to be on your show more. I, well, we always knew that you were an attention whore. I am. I love myself so much. Which yes, makes one of you. Somebody about what's called the wilderness years, which is that 89 to 2005. Which okay. Is, they call that wilderness years because Doctor Who was off television and everyone was going in their own direction. Although I found it really funny that they never canceled it. It was just on hiatus. On hiatus, yeah. yeah. For right. 15 yeah. years. Well, it's, let's throw it out to the listeners. If you want to have an episode devoted entirely to that 15-year period, which is fairly interesting, either email us at betterinthedark at earth-2.net or leave a message on one of our message boards let us know and if enough people say yes it's done perfect when we last left Doctor Who on Better in the Dark and we're not talking about the time that you called Amy Pond a snotty little slut no winch okay Whatever. We had finished the third season, and it ended with, if I remember correctly, you and I vowed we weren't going to watch the fourth season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I was so absolutely freaking pissed off at that master portrayal that I just said, this guy is not for me, I'm going to walk away. And in fact, I did not watch the fourth season until I was getting ready for season five. He was the Joker. He wasn't the master. He was not. Yeah, he wasn't the master. Oh, and was... the thing is, the Roger Delgado master, if he had shown up there... Would have kicked his ass with both hands, a leg, and one eye covered, and just beat him down. And the guy who plays the master, I saw him in the original Life like on Mars. Mars. Johnson, he's, a and good, he's a great actor. I love his act, but, well, the, but he made the wrong acting choice. No, it in, wasn't in, him in who made one. the acting choice. Because in this he, one. there is in the Doctor Who Confidential associated with one of them. Mm-hmm. He does mention that he came to work with some ideas as to the master, but Russell Davies said, no, we want you to play him this way. Oh, okay. Then. Yeah, because the way RTD saw it was that the doctor was ramped up. If you compare David Tennant to most of the previous doctors, Tennant was just totally wired on crack by comparison. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. So that's what they wanted to do with the master. They wanted to ramp the master up as much as they had the doctor. And, well, I think it was an interesting character if you just take the name away, if mm-hmm. you don't call him the master, because I like that kind of Joker to Batman sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, but he's almost but indistinguishable from any of the other corporate bad guys that Russell T. Davies has thrown at us in the four. I disagree. He is totally batshit crazy. Yeah, I think it's a different vibe, but as the master, no, nah, it didn't. Nah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and I agree. Ending, oh, my God. The ending where, I know I'm talking a lot, guys. I'm sorry. But no, you know, that, that. Doctor Who is Jesus. Yeah, right. Fuck y'all, Russell T. Davies. It's Jesus and it's Peter Pan. The original Peter Pan cartoon, Tinkerbell's dying, and Peter Pan turns to the audience and says, kids, say you believe in fairies to help Tink, and that's what fucking happened. Everybody, say you believe in the Doctor, and then he glitters and glows. What the fuck? That's what happens with any writer. Look at the ending of Lost. When you can't come up with anything else, what do you do? You go mystical. (laughs) And the thing that doubly aggravated me about that two-parter is that the episode before, we had, in three minutes, a master who was as scary as fuck in Derek Jacobi's performance. 
And to oh, go yeah. from Derek Jacoby, he had only two minutes of screen time as the master, who got it totally from that to, woohoo, here I am, I'm dancing to the Scissor Sisters, woohoo, killing is fun! Fuck y'all. That, that episode, I guess, it, was that Future Kind, I think was maybe the name of the episode, but, um... Utopia. Yeah, that one, the one where they're in the future and Derek Jacoby's there, that episode is pure fucking genius. Mm-hmm. It is so good. The cliffhanger endings where the master's changing... Jack and Martha are about mm-hmm. to be killed by the crazy future guys mm-hmm. and closing the doors. It's just, it's so intense. It's an amazing ending, and then you get that shit. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question, Shaq. Derek Jacoby, was he only signed on just to do that guest appearance, or was he not able to continue playing the master, or what happened? I don't know a lot of the backstory on it. To my knowledge, that he was just hired to do that interview. Yeah. They, they wanted a young master. They wanted the dark mirror of the doctor, but mm-hmm. it went horribly, horribly wrong. Okay. And it's sad because, as you point out, John Sims is a good actor, yeah, and I would have yeah, liked like to him. have seen what he wanted to bring what to the table. What he wanted to bring to the table, yeah. Because I have a feeling it would be something I would have enjoyed tremendously. Because I never understand why people hire certain actors because mm-hmm. of their acting style, and then when they come into a project, then they want them to completely change right. their acting style totally. I guess John Sims said, well, listen, it's a paycheck, yeah. it's this show, let and me do it. And it's a great honor. Let me do it there. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, you I'm know, sure, so. I mean, hey, you get to play the master. You get to play the greatest arch villain in Doctor Who history. Yeah, exactly. No one in their right mind is going to say no to a guest role in Doctor Who. Especially yeah. not now when it's such I a mean, you international know, exactly. phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, playing the master, as you point out, that's the next best thing to play in Doctor Who himself. Yeah. After that three-parter. Ooh, you know when you say that, he would have made a pretty cool Doctor. Who, John Sims? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he would have. Huh. Okay. So, so, after, so after that. I did eventually catch up with season four and the, the special in between. In preparation for the... And I was surprised to find that it was probably my favorite of the four Russell T. Davies seasons. Up until episode 10. Well, before we hit the season, let's mention Time Crash, which came out in between. Which was a Children in Need little right. seven-minute special, which had David Tennant meeting Peter Davison as right. a doctor. That's the one where the Titanic crashed through the side of the TARDIS? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, no. This, he's talking about the Children in Need specials, which are the little t- five-minute, ten-minute... Bits that they usually do for charity. Okay. But he's right. At the end, the Titanic crashes yes. the wall. You're right. Yeah, that's it. Yes. That was great. I loved it. The way they explained Peter Davidson being older, you know, because of what, all that shit with the other episode. It was just mm-hmm. cute. And, and, the, and the famous line in there is where David Tennant, not the doctor, tells Peter Davidson that you were my doctor. Peter Davidson was my doctor, too. I really connected with that moment. I thought that yeah. was really cool. So then we get into the Christmas special. we we don't want to do this on a point-by-point basis or we'll never get finished, but we should talk about Voyage of the Damned. Yeah. Which was actually, I was surprised at how much, because I was so anti-RTD at that point. There was a lot in it that I, re- I mean, there's a lot of the, si- one of my biggest problems with RTD is that he has these five or six ideas that he just will not fucking leave alone, like the crazy corporate master and humanity being overtaken by technology, mm-hmm. that he just will not let go, which is so weird. So we have, we had some nice, interesting ideas and we had a really good, quote-unquote, pseudo-companion in Astrid. Yeah. She's hot. Not my type, but I really like the interplay she had with David Tennant. I mean, I love that moment. She's like, you look pretty mighty young for 902 years old. She goes, oh, you should see me in the morning. Okay. Just, just matter-of-factly. <laughs> you know how that episode struck me? What? It's an episode that they said we need to do something until mm-hmm. we come up with something that we really, really are excited about and want to do. Mm-hmm. But this isn't a bad episode, so let's right. do this one. And it's kind of like a placeholder. And yeah, that, you know, yeah. it's there. It's not anything that I would say you have to see it unless you're a David Tennant I, I think uh, fan had, or something. David's had it in his mind. He wanted to do this thing about the Doctor and Lost and kind of emphasize the fact that he feels isolated. 
isolated. Mm-hmm. Which is why you have this whole crew of people that he's shepherding, all of whom pretty much die. It's the Poseidon. It's a, yeah, I'm about to say that. It's a riff on the Poseidon adventure. Well, you know, I can't stand about RTD, which is that he just keeps recycling things from other media and doesn't bother hiding it well enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, as wait a, a minute. As opposed to, let's say... Shit. Hold on. I call bullshit on you, Thomas DJ, because... In the last episode of Doctor Who's Better in the Dark, you're praising Hincliffe for doing it, and now you're fussing at Russell T. Davies for doing the same thing? Dun, dun, dun! I, Thomas, I didn't... A respond to the charge. I think that comparing the way <laughs> Philip Hincliffe did his takes on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and the Frankenstein... Okay, the Frankenstein monster, forget about the Frankenstein, that one was, that was pretty terrible. And Jack the Ripper. And the way that Russell T. Davies does his Doctor Who versions of the Titanic is like comparing a fine wine with Ripple. <laughs> <laughs> there are degrees of separation here. Okay, I'll give you that, but just to say that they're ripping off and that's a bad thing, you can't, that's two sides of your mouth, because Hinkliffe was, it was clearly obvious what Hinkliffe was doing at the time, too, so. But I will give you the quality is definitely discussable and fair game. And, of course, he once again has to drag out one of his other favorite pet things. Which the is? monster that looks kind of like something that's familiar to us, that has that easily recognizable speech pattern in the host. Which was, yeah. oh god, it's... They had me until the doctor takes charge of them and he flies up. Yeah. Like, angels going to heaven kind of thing. Oh, yeah. They had, they had and then this whole that. Christian imagery that Russell T. Davies yeah. seems obsessed with, too, really pisses me off. It was Christmas, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it fits in with the whole Christmas theme. There's the, a difference song. between, let's say, the next special, which I really, really liked, except for the giant kaiju... Cyberman, the next Doctor. They use Christmas imagery there too, but nowhere near in the ham hocked handed way that they did it in Voyage of the Damned. One of the things that's bothered me, ever a lot of us thought it, this was a clue to something, mm-hmm. was Kylie Minogue. Her character's name is Astrid. Yeah, which right. Is, which is an anagram for TARDIS. A lot of us were debating why would they go to that length, and it, it could have just been something to throw us off. I don't know. Yeah. But well, you can understand, and we now have proof of this. To use a wrestling analogy, Russell T. Davies is the Vince Russo of screenwriting. Now people are scratching their heads. In that, Vince Russo. He was, That's what I'm doing. Vince Russo was a famous legendary wrestling booker who among a, contributed to the death of WCW because he believed in the idea that it's more important to shock people than to give them logical storylines. And Russell T. Davies says it in his autobiography, that he felt that it was more interesting to give people a shock or to play with their expectations and give them a, a twist at the end than to be consistent with character. Which explains a lot about his four seasons. Okay. Okay. I'll go with that. And I think maybe this whole Astrid thing, oh, wouldn't it be clever if that character was an anagram of TARDIS? Something they threw out yeah. there and never picked up on. Exactly. Just, just something they threw out there. But what the, you seem to forget is that if you keep doing these things where you throw things out and not bother coming back to explain them, you eventually end up with the X-Men. Or oh, heroes. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Same well, difference. I really thought she'd be turned into that sort of energy being mm-hmm. sort of thing or whatever. I thought that was going to be an onboard autopilot for the TARDIS and we'd see it again. Or Although I wonder if Davies already had the Waters of Mars in mind when he was writing this. I certainly hope not. Why do you, because the Doctor taking charge and doing whatever the fuck yeah, he wants? Because it, it, it seems like they're almost bookends here. Whereas the Doctor is doing what he wants for the benefits of others and still loses in mm-hmm. Voyage of the Dam. In Waters of Mars, he's doing what he wants to benefit, make himself feel better. Yeah. 
and he still fucks it up. He still loses everything he wanted to say. And I'm wondering if, if he had these two stories in mind as bookends for season four. Could very well be. Season four. I love Donna. She is brilliant. I hated her in The Runaway Bride, but we had to have The Runaway Bride for that story arc to occur. I wanted to, I wanted to jab a pen through her fucking skull. The Runaway the Bride, Bride, the actress that was playing it, I think she was... That was Catherine Tate. Catherine Tate. She was yeah. trying to find the voice for the character, and she was too shrill... Too hollering, but I too think that was intentional because one. we had to see her has this mean, evil. Well, it's the taming of the shrew. That's yeah. the whole relationship with and her and the doctor. Oddly that's, enough, that's a good analogy. Yeah, which is also oddly in, enough was supposed to be what was going on with Rose too, and that Rose was kind of. But Rose always stayed selfish and self-absorbed. Well, Donna was, I mean, she's yeah. everybody that you know that reads People magazine and lives by e-television and all yeah. they do is talk about celebrity gossip. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what she was. That's what she represented. And she was incredibly unlikable. Yeah. And then they figured out a way to just take her and make her more rational and reasonable and, and have her eyes get open. Well, it just literally shows so you. Well. Par- partners in crime, mm-hmm. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, oh, I, lo- I love that episode. Of the partners nine episodes, the season four that I consider to be probably the best sustained stretch Russell T. Davies ever had, that was the one I liked the least. You're drunk. You should have disliked the Santarin episodes the most. Fuck you. I like the Centaurans. Yeah. I did not like those guys. Well, what, I mean, I will admit that the Centaurans like had, once again, some of these Russell C. Davies tropes of, it would be so much funnier if, let's say, the Centaurans are insecure about their height. Once again, the evil corporation trying to do something evil. I, I know the you're genius, that, but the evil corporation thing goes back as far as William Hartnell with Doctor Who. I mean, they go hand in hand, man. It's like every other episode on Russell T. Davies. There's some evil corporation. Let's you, take you a look at watch, season four. Need, Let's take a look at Pertwee again, man. Pertwee, he was stuck on Earth for three years. But it was an evil corporation yeah. almost every episode. Well, let's take a look. Okay. We had Partners in Crime and Depose, evil organization. Then yeah. we had Fires of Pompeii. Then we had Planet of the Ood, evil corporation. Then yeah. we had the Santarin two-parter, evil corporation. What else did we, what did we have after that? Is Nothing it the doctor's really... daughter with the stupid fucking dolphin people? They weren't that bad. I hate the fucking dolphin people. Yeah, but... They had water bottles in their mouths. Peter Davison's daughter in leather pants made up for all of that, man. That episode gets a free okay, pass hold on. all the way around. I like the character. I hated the story. The doctor's daughter. Yeah, I doctor's did. It didn't bother me any. It yeah. was fun to see Martha and Donna together, actually. So I, I thought it was an unnecessary story. This, this, is, one, okay, this is one of the things that made me hate Three so much, but it also emphasizes... Because the Martha that we saw in The Poison Sky and The Centauran Stratagem was the Martha I fell in love with in the first four episodes of Season 3. Good before point. she became the whinging, crying, jealous... Why does it the doctor love me? Why doesn't he pay attention to me? She was even better in Torchwood, to my surprise. Why didn't they keep her around afterwards? I heard the actress pissed him off. Really? Yeah, something about money. I don't know if that's true or not. I hope not. Isn't she on Law and Order London? Law and Order London. London, right, okay. Yeah, I don't think they're bringing her back to torture. Although I think she'd benefit the show. The thing is, it was the first time that we got to see hints of the Captain Jack that we liked in the Doctor Who. Torchwood, if anything, really brought home the fact that Russell Davies was trying to create his own little Whedonverse. Yeah, we were talking another night. Yeah, you were pointing out the analogies between Captain Jack is Captain uh, Jack is Angel. Is Angel? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Captain I Jack is Angel. Gwen is which I never thought of 
about before until you brought it mm -hmm. up. And I say, you know something? He's absolutely right. But then again, I was never a big... I didn't go gaga over Torchwood like a lot of people did. I watched it because of the female police agent. Grant uh, Cooper. Yes. Grant Cooper. Eve, Eve Miles, who is hella hot. Who I thought that was mad smoking hot. I watched it because of her. And if every episode of Torchwood I had seen previously had been anything like Children of Earth, I yeah. would have watched the whole damn thing. Oh, Children. Children of Earth was so good. Oh my god, that was so good. And you know what? When I see something that good from somebody whose work I usually keep at arm's length, arm's length it makes me all the angrier because I realize this is your potential. Yeah. You don't have to do the freaking rhino men chasing around an old woman with a straw trying to suck the blood out of people. Oh yeah. Or some of the other crap we had to sit through during the Davies era. Yeah. I want to take something from season four and go a little further because you had said the first nine episodes. Yes. So which means you didn't like the last four Russell T. Davies. I'd like to talk about episode ten specifically for a second. What midnight. are we talking about? Midnight or are we talking about turn left? Midnight. Oh okay, you know what midnight struck me as? Chad, did you watch the X Files? Uh, a little bit. After Morgan and Wong left with season four, you had all these peculiar episodes that Chris Carter wrote, which were trying to be funny, as if he was trying to prove that he could the write com uh, comedy. a Morgan right. and Wong episode better than they could. Right. Midnight struck me as Russell T. Davies getting pissed off that everybody was talking about Steve Moffat, Steve Moffat, Steve Moffat. So he was trying to do his version of Blink and try to prove that he did it better, and he didn't. Nah, nobody could. <laughs> well, that's, that's an interesting theory. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Yours happens to be wrong. I didn't see this as a Moffat ripoff or even a Blink ripoff. This, to me, was, when we talk about you know, the side adventure, it was clearly Voyage of the Damned. This was an old Twilight Zone episode. This was close set, confined, claustrophobic set, well, very the, limited the number of characters. Two, if I'm wrong, it was the second unit episode for this year. Or was that Turn Left? That was Turn Left. Okay. Midnight was the one where they're on the dining yeah. planet. There was a Twilight Zone episode years ago in the original Black and White series mm -hmm. where they think there's a nuclear missile coming to this one mm -hmm. town. They receive reports that a nuclear missile's on the way and everyone's going to die. One guy has a bomb shelter in the neighborhood. Oh, the monsters are on Maple yeah. Street. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's all about people trying to break into his bomb shelter and how horrible human beings are to each other. At the end, it turns out it's a false alarm, and then the neighbors have to go back and figure out how to deal with each other. And that's the beauty of this episode. Other than the one character possessed by the little alien, all the horrible shit the people did was themselves. It wasn't an alien. They were possessed. In a bad situation, these were bad people. And it just... Oh, so I, this is my interpretation of it. Davies got the idea that it would be really eerie to have this alien that mimics other people's voices. I didn't care about that part. And he never got past that idea. He never developed what this thing was. It was just some weird thing that happened. You're absolutely right. It was the MacGuffin, if I'm using my terminology right. Yeah. The point of the story was not the alien. The point of the story is what human beings do to each other in a crisis. That's what the story really is. In which case, then it didn't work well, as, for me because I didn't see that point. Well, as me okay. and Tom, yeah. whenever we do an episode about horror movies, we always point that out. We say that some of our favorite horror movies are the mm -hmm. ones that points out that it's human beings that are actually the monsters. And right. what human beings do to each other is more mm -hmm. terrifying than anything else that any, that any monster from the outside yes. can do to you. We do some pretty shitty things to each other when it's our ass on the line. All of our civilized veneer goes out the window when it's our head that's up there getting ready to be ripped off. Yeah, on that basis, I think that's what Midnight. Midnight works. I agree with you. I didn't like the thing jumping from body to body, talking right. it, because it reminded me of this Japanese I mean, horror movie where, have you ever seen the Japanese horror movie where it's this plane that crashes oh, and what? it's an um, alien going from body to body, taking over the people? Goku, the body snatcher from hell. Yeah, that's it. That's what this <laughs> episode... That's really the name? That is really the name. 
The funny thing is, is that Davies uses this whole imitating people thing mm-hmm. in three episodes hence for comedic effect, and it's much more effective in that case. Okay. When we have the Donna and the Earth Doctor, if you will. Don't get me wrong. We're getting into the territory. I, oh, I want. I want to shoot. But Shay, if you ever get a chance, Netflix that movie. Goku, mm-hmm. the monster from hell. Goku, the alien what? The, the body snatcher the from body hell. The body snatcher from hell. Body snatcher from hell. It's right, well worth enough. seeing, trust me. Then we get to turn left, which yeah. is... I have to <coughs> give Russell C. Davies my hand that it's an episode that tries to fool everybody into thinking it's about Donna, when in fact it's all about Rose. It emphasizes the point that the ro- entire Russell T. Davies run, the central character has not been the Doctor, it has been Rose Tyler. Mm-hmm. That stupid fucking chaff. Even the season that she's not on, we have Martha going, Wait a minute, why can't I be his be and not Rose? You know the what really weird thing about Turn Left? I think I've seen it about three times now. Five minutes after I watch it, I couldn't tell you what the hell yeah. it's about. It's an episode that it's just doesn't... Doors. It doesn't stick with me. It's, it's the Gwyneth Paltrow film Sliding yeah. Doors. She turns left and sort of turns right. So right. She doesn't meet the doctor. The doctor dies in. Uh, but it's the, just an episode. Runaway Bride. It's just an episode for some reason. Okay, there are other episodes that I can sit and I can recite yeah. dialogue from and right. tell you what happened. Boom, 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 boom. Turn left. I could never even after I've seen it five minutes later. I couldn't tell you what it's about. I will have to say, and you guys can dispute me, whatever. I think Turn Left had one of the best cliffhanger endings of the series so far. Where when he's asking Donna, who's the blonde? Turning with Jimmy, she says, I don't know. Or she said, Bad Wolf. And the doctor runs outside, and every <laughs> fucking sign it says Bad Wolf. Oh, yeah. Music is so intense. Like, dun, 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 dun. And this is like, oh my god, that was just incredible. Let's lay it on the line here. Rose Tyler is Russell T. Davies' Buffy. The only woman that Russell T. Davies said he would ever sleep with. He said that? Yes, he, he did. He said In that? public. You sleep with Rose or Billy Piper? No, no. Buffy. He said oh, he Buffy said is the only Piper. woman he would ever sleep with. Gotcha. And Rose Tyler is his Buffy. To the point where, and this was something I found very fascinating. I was watching one of the mm. Doctor Who confidentials yeah. for season five, the one for A Victory to the Daleks. And oh. Stephen Moffat reveals that they designed the Daleks to be eye level with Billy Piper. So the oh, entire okay. universe was catered to her. Well, they were always kind of short. I don't actually share your opinion of Rose. I'm not a hater. I don't think she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I think in season one, I think she was really good. In season two, she was just hanging around for the paycheck until the end of the season. Although Doomsday was very powerful. I think she's fine. I the think thing she that aggravates me, good. okay. I think she was necessary. In order for the show to be a success, connection between the Doctor and her, it was necessary for it to become such a monumental international hit that it is. Not Billy Piper necessarily, but the character of Rose. I think the character of Rose was vital. Okay, I'm going along with that. My big well, you could have a character like Rose and not make her such a self-centered, self-interested, shallow human being who uses her friends, who treats her family pretty much with contempt, (laughs) who doesn't really care much. My mom. Let me tell you something about Jackie Tyler. As much as I rolled my eyes at some of the quote-unquote comedy bits that she had, had some of the best emotional moments in those two seasons. I'm not going to deny that. You're right. She was wonderful. I picked yeah. on her because of the funny bits, but she, she was great, and the actress was wonderful. Yeah. Sorry, C- yeah, Camila Cadori. I'm sorry. Uh, I got her confused with an Australian Hey, you can keep rules. I'll take the moms any yeah. day. <laughs> but it's just... The moms I mean, look like she know how to have a good time which is why at, at ag- party. <laughs> which is why it <laughs> aggravates me when you have all these Dr. Hottie lovers dismissing Rory has Mickey Light. 
No, no, far from it. And from how it. And, and like and you Amy said, and Rory are just Rose and Mickey reduced. And as me and you were talking that, I think that one of the brilliant things that I love about the Matt Smith run mm-hmm. with these two is that we are seeing a couple in the TARDIS for the first time that are in love and the process of them falling in love yeah. and working out their relationship at the same time while they're dealing with this crazy yes. guy that's flinging them through time and space. It's the first time we've seen that. Mickey becomes an interesting character over the course of his two seasons. Doesn't start out as an I interesting couldn't character. stand Mickey at first yeah. and I grew to like him the more he appeared and the more he grew the more as a he character a set and says to Rose do you treat me like a tin dog once he grows that set and goes this is nothing for me I gotta move on but Rory is an interesting character from day one. Let's bring it back to Rose, because we're going to okay. talk about Rory when we get to season five. We were wrapping up about Rose. I was saying that she's vital to the success of the show, and you were saying how much you hated her. What I'm saying is that you could Rory. have a character like Rose and not make her such a detestable human being. Okay. It is possible to have a... I really disagree with... Davies' belief that the only possible relationship between a man and a woman is a romantic one. Although, oddly enough, the, cl- I, the most... I don't think he sees that at all. I disagree. It seems that way to me. If, although, oddly enough, I was about to say, the most intimate of the three relationships, of the three companions, is the one that Tennant has with Donna Noble. I'm totally going to say the same thing. You're right. They're, Even though they're clearly not a couple. But they act like an old married couple. They're, exactly. Which is one of the reasons I love... We are told constantly throughout the Rusty Davies era how Rose is such a great, courageous, wonderful human being. But we never see any proof. Donna, we see over the course of this year, her using her skills that she gained as a temp to effect positive change. We see her growing, and we see her becoming a courageous, wonderful person. Literally, this magnificent person who could save the world. We never see that in Rose. We never see her. I won't disagree. Just going back to a good example of why I think Rose was critical to the success of the show... My wife is a non-geek. Gorgeous, beautiful woman, non-geek at all. Don't know how the hell I got so lucky to marry her. I definitely married up. She could not give two shits about science fiction. She's tolerant of my interest. I got her to watch Doctor Who, the new stuff. You know what she glommed onto? The relationship between Rose and the Doctor. Whenever we'd watch an episode together, she did not care what the science fiction plot was. She wanted to see the mythology-building moments between the Rose and Doctor's relationship. Once she saw Doomsday and Rose was gone, and she's sitting there crying her eyes out, she really hasn't watched that many episodes since. Yeah, and there we have the crux of the whole thing. It got women to start watching Doctor Who. Let me ask you a question while I got you here, Shag. Because, see, this is my whole theory about Doctor and having romantic relationships. He's 900-and-something years old. Wouldn't him having a relationship with a human female be kind of like, oh, say, a 40-year-old man having a relationship with a 10-year-old girl? As Jackie mentions in, is it Father's Day or is it one of of them? Where she calls Chris Eccleston to task. Yeah, I think it'd be very much like that. And I think that's part of the reason why he hasn't had that many romantic relationships. I would disagree with something you guys said in a previous podcast about there being hints of Peter Davison and Tegan in a romantic relationship. I never saw that. I would say that the Doctor and the Second Romana clearly were rocking the TARDIS. Uh, <laughs> but they're peers, so, and they're the same race. Exactly. That's where I'm going, is that the romantic relationships I think the Doctor's had previously was with Romana, his peer. There was a little bit with Grace in the TV movie, but that was just a flirtation. I don't think mm-hmm. it would have gone anywhere further if they continued to travel together. They may have wrote some of that in, but I don't think it would have been believable. And then Rose. What they're trying to say is that after all these years, the Doctor finally fell in love. The only human that I could honestly <laughs> see him falling in love with and having a relationship was that episode The Girl in the Fireplace. Yeah. Madam oh, yeah, I believe that 100%. Yeah. Who in the world did not fall in love with that woman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think it, it benefited from the fact, just like as you mentioned the second Roman and Tom Baker, they were in a relationship at the time. Dead Tennant was in a relationship with the actress who 
played Madame yeah. Pompadour. The doctor cracked you up. He said, hey, pack a bag. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming back for you, baby. One, one thing that I really wanted to strangle Russell T. Davies for, he retroactively kind of sort of made it clear that Sarah Jane and the doctor were in a relationship during their, their time in school okay, reunion. Well, that pissed me off to no end. Hold on, I'll challenge you a little bit. Go back and watch it again, and maybe I'm wrong, because I, I really haven't watched that episode in a little while, but... I always got the feeling it was that, according to that episode, Sarah Jane was in love with the Doctor, not that they were in a relationship. Yeah. And, Shag, if you go back over the original episodes with Sarah Jane, do you see any evidence of that? Yes and no. Not overt kissy-lovey stuff, but if you take a step back from it being a kid's show back then, and you realize that this woman, much like all the other companions, would do anything he asked, put themselves in harm's way, hypnotize, beat on the head, whatever, time after time after time, why would they do it for this guy? Why would they leave their whole life behind and go with him unless they are infatuated? Doctor Who is a pimp. <laughs> I don't care what y'all say. He's a original galactic pimp, man. He just gets these broads to do anything he wants. They take one look in his beautiful brown eyes, and that's it. They're willing to throw themselves in front of Cybermen. And- that it feeds into my contention that Russell T. Davies only sees relationships between a male and a female in terms of romance. I think he throws it in there because it was so successful in the first two seasons. That's why he had Martha... Starts off with Martha being wowed by this guy, and then by the end, she's not. She's moved on. And then Donna, and then she, don't see she any has, of, what, Donna. two, three boyfriends, and then eventually decides to frivolously marry Mickey after knowing him for about a month? Well, that was just convenience for the season. Yeah, they're the only two black characters, so yeah. of course they have to get married. That was just dumb. You look at the Donna relationship, there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. You, know, you look at the Amy Pond relationship, she was a little bit ooh-ooh-ah with the Donna. But it was but more it about, I want to have sex, not... I want to be your whoopie. She was a party girl. And in fact, so I, I, I will contend that that scene, the horny Amy scene, is Stephen Moffat looking over Russ Stephen Davies going, Really? This was all you could think of, right? <laughs> really? Interesting way of saying it. I think Russell T. Davies sees beyond just romantic relations, but he knows how powerful they are in dramatic television. So, and if you want somebody else besides the horny 15 to 20 year olds watching it and expand the audience, I'm sorry, but that's what the female audience wants. They want relationships. They want people falling in love and out of love and struggling with this stuff. When, of course, we just want to see Doctor Who going up against Daleks and Cybermen. I don't want to see the Doctor go up against Daleks ever again. Quite frankly. Uh, I'm pretty done with it. Yeah, I'm pretty dollocked out myself. But you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, that's to expand. It appeals to both markets. You're absolutely right, Derek. Which is one of the, I think, the geniuses of season five in that we have our romance, but it's not the doctor who's having the romance. Yeah. Although there is a romance for the doctor, but we'll get to that when we get to that. The season wrap-up. I hated this thing. The Stolen Earth and Journey's End. I love Stolen Earth. I love Uh, Stolen Earth, yeah. Well, yeah. the thing I hated about this two-parter is, and I've used this analogy before. This is the one with the Justice yeah. League of the Doctor's Companions. Yeah. <laughs> yes. thing is, is that exactly right. That is a perfect way to describe it's it. It's like that episode <laughs> of The Simpsons where they decide to add Poochie to Itchy and Scratchy. And the, one of the suggestions when the, the show is tanking is that whenever Poochie is not around, people are asking, where's Poochie? Mm-hmm. That's what the stretch of these three episodes reminded me of. No, this is the League, of, ex- like, this is the League of Extraordinary yeah. Companions. Whenever Rose wasn't around, people were talking about Rose. I don't know. I love that scene where everyone's conference called in. She's watching it. 
and she's got that ego. She's like, but I'm right here. And she's left out. First. Yeah, and right. She's she left like part of the discussion. And she said, Oi, I was on the TARDIS before you. you know, because she gets pissed off because Martha's included in the and thing and she's not. And, and part of it is like Derek said, the comic book Justice League thing. I mean, I love the team ups in comic books. I can't help it. I love it when the two heroes get together. Even though from a script point of view and a story point of view, there were really bad stuff in Journey's End and Soul and Earth. There's moments in there that I absolutely love. Even though I recognize that Journey's End is a bad episode. There's things in there The I worst part about Journey's End to me is that Rose gets rewarded for all her selfishness and even complains about getting the reward and Donna gets the short end of the shit stick. I like that Donna got that. You know why? Not because of who Donna is, not because she's one of my favorite companions, but because I fucking cried. Oh. When Donna's mind got wiped, I emotionally felt something. And television is not supposed to do that. It's just entertainment. It's a, it's not, exactly, yeah. It's a, it, actually, it is supposed to do that. But it's very rare that it's that effective. So but, okay. Donna got, it hurt me. I was so upset. And it's like, wow, television affected me that much. We see this character go from being a shallow, stupid woman to being someone self-capable, realizing how much she has to offer the world, only to have it taken away. But that's the whole point. And reverted back to being a stupid bin. That's the tragedy. Whereas Rose gets her own doctor, who's going to grow old with her, and what does she do? She complains, it's not you. Fuck you, bitch. And, And you know what the lesson that we learned here? Life is not fair. Did you guys get the sense... And I haven't seen anything that says this, but did you guys get the sense that they had hoped the clone would be played by Christopher Eccleston? No, I think it was always meant to be... Oh, you mean from the way he was dressed? The way he was dressed, the way they said he was exactly like the Doctor was after the Time War when they Mm -hmm. met. It just, that's really who Rose fell in love with, was Christopher Eccleston. It just... Oh, no, I would argue it wasn't until David Tennant that she really started going like, Ooh, I got a hot boyfriend. And starts treating it like it's, it's this grand date. Yeah, I gotta go with Tom on this one because with Eccleston, the relationship between Rose and the Eccleston doctor was more like mates hanging yeah. out. But Tennant came along and she was like, oh, hubba, hubba, hubba. Yeah, oh, he's hot. Right. Yeah, I gotta go with you on that one. The level it's just, it's of just funny that everyone considers him hot because yeah. when he started, no one thought that. <laughs> and compare the level of quote unquote jealousy that Rose feels when the tree woman in The Last Days of Earth, whatever the second episode was, to the one she feels with Madame Pompadour. It's almost dismissive in the first season, but in the second season, it's like, this is my boyfriend. My, 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 my. Yes. Well, I think Rose felt like she got it. She was chasing him the whole first season. And then I think she, by the second season, she felt like girl who she got it. It was her boyfriend now. So that's why she's pissed off when Mickey joined the TARDIS for a while and the Madame Pompadour got, stuff. Let me ask you a question, Shaq. What do you think about Billy Piper left Doctor Who and the first role she jumped into was that of a hooker? <laughs> I think that she knew she was attractive. I knew she knew a lot of her star power was coming from her attractiveness. She came from a pop singing background, so she knew how powerful the cult of personality is. I think that's what happens. It's a very successful show from what I understand. I've never watched it. I tried to search out, you know, naked clips on the internet. I've seen one or two episodes, and it's nothing special. It shows that it, she's not the interesting factor. It shows mm, that the scripts yeah. and the story yeah. are. Yeah. Journey's End should have been the final last word on the frickin' Daleks, much like Genesis of the Daleks is supposed to be the last final word, but that's not Davros, the case. Davros is wasted in yeah. those stories. I'm sorry. And, and Journey's End and Stolen Earth, he was interesting to see. He was very exciting. Like, oh, Davros is back! And actually, another moment, I got choked up, because I'm a sissy man, I suppose. You when, said it not me. Elizabeth Sladen hears Davros' voice for the first time in the show 
and she hears it over an intercom, and she starts to cry because she is scared out of her fucking mind. Yeah. She knows who it is. And yeah. Like that moment, to me, just was so powerful. Just Elizabeth Slade, the actress, being able to draw that tear out was just, like, so powerful for an old-school fan. So then we get into the specials. There are four, four. stories four. over five episodes. Four. Yeah, you got to count Dreamland, I think. No, we don't. Aww. We'll, we'll give it a moment or two. Why are we not counting Dreamland? Because it sucked? No, it didn't. Yes, it did. It was perfectly serviceable. It was Clone Wars for Doctor Who. The animation was like Clone Wars, the TV series, my 10-year-old And the plot it. was like Ewoks. It was very, yeah, there was some very funny pop culture jokes in that one. We had George Moffat again. She wasn't in leather pants, admittedly, but she was in it. By the way, if you have any female listeners, I do apologize. However, please understand that my name is The Irredeemable Shag. This on a show where two episodes ago I made reference to a movie in which Kristen Bell gets sodomized by the devil. Uh, yeah. I don't think you have to worry about we that. We don't Shag. worry about the female contingent. Wow. I do like Kristen Bell. <laughs> She's mine. You can't have her. Um, Why don't we ask her that? <laughs> the next doctor. Yes. Up until the time we get to see the giant kaiju Cyberman. I yes, really I like this. I like uh, the character of this next doctor, although I kind of figured out fairly early on what was going on. I thought that the actor who was playing this next doctor had enough personality I was carried along. I wanted this guy to turn out, even though, like you, pretty yeah. on, I caught on he wasn't, to actually be a future incarnation mm-hmm. of the doctor so badly, it hurt. I completely agree. He was so cool. And he's, he At was, the very he least, I wanted played. to see him... Join the TARDIS he could, play for a while. The, he could play the action star, Doctor yeah. Who. He's muscular, he's got a very action-oriented... He would have been Very, very awesome. much like John Pertwee playing mm. James Bond. Yeah. Or, that's what this guy was like in that mode, Doctor, as the action hero. Much like I always wanted to see Richard Mace travel with the Doctor after the visitation, I wanted to see this guy hang out with the Doctor for a while. See, I would have had our time with that, because I would struggle to see who I wanted to have be in the top dog position, because well, I like that guy so much. One of the interesting things about the special season is that you see different possibilities for who the Doctor's next companion could be. In fact, you see in the next one, Planet of the Dead, in the character of uh, Lady Christina D'Souza, almost what it must be like in the future when River Song is running with him on a regular basis. Yeah. She is smoking hot in this show. So, well, I mean, regardless of the hotness, but yeah. of course, okay, I do like the hotness. Yeah, she well, is such a cool character. She reminds me of, and bear with me for just a second, a little bit of an explanation, mm-hmm. but when Doctor Who got canceled in, in 89, 90, that was season 26. Yeah. They had a season 27 planned. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's an Andrew Cartmel sort of plan. No. A couple episodes in, Ace was going to leave the show. Mm-hmm. And they were going to introduce a companion. I want to say her name was Sam. I don't think that's right, though. Either way, they're going to introduce a companion who is going to be a safe cracker. In fact, the opening episode of her was going to be she, this girl sneaks into a party, cracks open a safe, and the doctor was going to be inside the safe saying, what took you so long? I mean, that was going to be kind of the relationship. And she was going to be a sort of criminal on the rebound. This character reminded me a lot of that character. She would have been an awesome character. Yeah, it would have been a much more interesting, definitely in the line of Ace or Leela. It's a magnificent little episode, nice little problem for the Doctor to solve. The return in force of Unit, even oh, though Unit yeah, has been yeah. kind of around the peripheries for a while, yeah. it's the first time we really get to see Unit in force. I really thought they were either trying to do a backdoor pilot mm-hmm. for Unit, or that maybe the Matt Smith season was going to be like the John Pertwee season where they were going to be on Earth with Unit, because they did so much with Unit in that episode, mm-hmm. I thought they were really setting something up. Is the actor that played Brigadier, is he still around? Yes, Nicholas Courtney is still Nicholas around. Nicholas Courtney, yeah. Okay. He has yet he to be on the news. not too long ago. 
Okay. Oh, he was on Sarah Jane? Get out of here. Yeah. It wasn't the greatest episodes, but he's around. He's fantastic. Oh, oh, another thing, by the way, because I like pointing out how wrong Thomas is. Thomas said that Nicholas Courtney did not get to play with every actor that would play the Doctor. Yes and no. You said that he played with everyone after Trotton mm-hmm. in some form or another. Mm-hmm. He did actually get to play on screen with Hartnell. Well, he was in uh, The Crusades, right? What was it, The Crusades that he was in? No, it was a Dalek Master Plan. He played Brett Virens or something like that. He was a space agent. You know what I meant. What I meant was... I you meant the Brigadier. I meant the so Brigadier, you, as, yes. As far as I know, Nicholas Courtney's never acted with Christopher Eccleston, but definitely acted with David Tennant on Big Finish stuff and mm-hmm. everybody else. So. Well, so. well, I guess it's Matt Smith now to take into account. Yeah, and then we get the first portent of He Will Knock Four Times. That was good. Which was good at the time, but as we'll find out, it pays off in a really stupid and sucky manner. I wanted to see Christina come on the TARDIS. I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I really wanted her on the TARDIS. But she was fun and she was exciting. Doctor Who meets Laura Croft. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought, is that she was was the Luna versus Laura Croft. And it would have been kind of cool to have somebody like that who would be back to the whole Liza Doolittle thing. Mm-hmm. With the doctor kind of trying to keep her, her reined in. Rehabilitating her. Yeah. By the way, I like watching the show with my kids when I can. Mm-hmm. I have a 10 year old and a 4 year old, and they love this episode. It's visually, it's exciting. It's, there's some talky talky, but there's a lot of action, there's a lot of neat stuff, and they love this episode. Because, you know, the flying bus, it's just it's a kid's mm-hmm. dream. Yeah, and then she goes off at the end flying right. off with the bus. How can you not love that stuff? Very Iris Wild Time, if you guys know who she is, too. Yeah, the character that Katie, I hate Katie Manning. Created for you're, you're an idiot for that, by the way. Okay, fine. I'm going to bitch you guys some more. You guys talked about Joe Grant being one of the least liked companions. We didn't like her. Okay, that's fine. But I was going to say she was beloved, man. She was, oh yeah, everyone loved her. As, oh, as, she was definitely. <laughs> Let me stop taking his side. side. He's right. Everybody loves Joe Grant. You guys can hate her. That's fine. She was Daphne. She was the cute, bumbling, 60s, 70s mod girl. No, but you know what my theory has always been in regards to Doctor Who, like James Bond. I firmly believe that whichever Doctor Who you saw first, that usually ends up being your favorite. So I saw yeah. Tom Baker and Sarah Jane Smith and Harry Sullivan. So that's my favorite Doctor and my favorite companions. A lot of other people saw Joe Grant first and they love Joe Grant because I know people that to this day they say oh how come Joe Grant didn't get her own show no how come Sarah Jane she was stupid (laughs) I would agree she was a ditz yeah you know who's someone else that deserves a shout out because she's absolutely cute as a button is Zoe Harriet from the second doctor awesome character oh oh never mind I'm not going to say it and that's exactly what I was going to say yeah screaming on the TARDIS yes We call that the gratuitous butt shot in my house. <laughs> okay. My kids like the mind robber, actually. Yeah. Believe it or not, in black and white. One more random fact. I'm terrible about this. Sorry. We talked about Midnight. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember in Midnight, the one on the bus in, in space. Right. One of the characters is a scientist. And he's balding. He's got glasses. Right. He's in the whole episode. That's Patrick Trotton's son. No fooling. Yeah. And if you close your eyes and listen to him, he sounds exactly like his dad. All right. Sorry. We're back on to... We're, we're now on to Waters of Mars. Mars. Otherwise known as Russell D. Davies, kind of sort of like the Ghost of Mars. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen Ghost of Mars. Trust me. You already saw it. You're not missing a thing. Try to imagine Waters of Mars only with iced tea in place of David Tennant, (laughs) Natasha Henstridge in place of a stupid robot, and the future creatures from the Utopia in place of the water monsters. And you pretty much have the Ghost of Mars. Okay. Except that there's some lesbian set goes to Mars. I didn't actually like this episode. Right? Oh, I, I, I detested it. I didn't like it either. You know the best thing I liked about it? Remember the spacesuit that the Doctor wore? Yeah. I thought it was a nice little bit of continuity that that was the same spacesuit from when they were on the Satan planet. Yeah. 
that's what I enjoyed about the episode. <laughs> Among the things that bug me, okay, we get it, Russell T. Dave, you want to have same-sex marriage in your lifetime. Stop hammering us with it. Um, I don't think he hammered us with it. I uh, think we were more aware of it because of his previous gigs and his own orientation. Mm-hmm. I don't feel beat over the head with it in the series. I really didn't. Torchwood, I do. Oh, I God, work. yes. Because I watched Voyage of the Damned again last night, and I wonder if this was meant to be a bookend, but I hated the idea that the whole point is the doctor is dithering about, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be involved, I shouldn't be involved, I shouldn't be involved, I shouldn't be involved. Wait a minute. I should be involved. This is the right thing to do. And he goes and he does the right thing, and then she goes and pops herself in the head anyway. That's about the only part I liked about the episode, actually, was that he tried to interfere and time corrected itself to basically say, fuck you, you're not the guy who always wins. I thought that the monsters were very uninteresting, to say the least. Yeah. And that makeup, once you saw it up close, was ridiculous. Yeah. I agree. To me, this is just episode. I sat there and I just, eh, meh. It, it was an unnecessary episode. Okay, I got the part. There are fixed points in time mm-hmm. that you can change. Well, see, that's a bunch of BS because we have seen Dr. Go back and change yeah. fixed points in time. So that's like, oh, uh, Moffat, as we'll learn very shortly, seems to love dicking around with points in time. Doesn't the very fact that the doctor can go back in time change time, whether he interacts or not, there is something that has changed when the TARDIS lands physically on a planet. There are bacteria killed. There are atmospheric changes from the TARDIS. He's already changed it, so don't give me this thing about, well, there are certain fixed points that I can't change. Well, of course there are. You've done it before. The point they're trying to make, and I guess I can get on board with, is simply that Time is extraordinarily flexible. Landing the TARDIS and crushing a butterfly will not result in everyone speaking a different language a million years down the road. But they will know, have bug eyes. The, the idea of the fixed points in history, I kind of dug the idea. Mm-hmm. And I kind of dug that he tried to assert himself and didn't win. Although we um, see in The Fires of Pompeii that you're able to make small changes because he and Donna saved that family. Yes. And that's, again, things are flexible. This episode to me was just clocking time for, yeah. until the season finale. Yeah, but bingo. Yeah. The end of time, yeah. otherwise known as the Mort Weisinger emo doctor. All right, let's get into it. Things the I like. I liked having Bernard Cribbins yes. as a companion. I love the relationship between these two men. There's that one moment, I think it's in the second part, where they're just sitting they're down. They're in the diner. Yeah, they're, they're, in, the no, diner. No, it's not in the diner. It's a like restaurant? they're sitting down in one empty room. This is after Bernard Cribbins had the confrontation with the master. Okay. Where he said, I would be proud for this man to be my son. And they're just relaxing, the, the calm before the storm. And David Tennant turns to him and says, I'd be proud to be your son. Well, they have two scenes. They have yeah. one that's in the restaurant, and they're talking about right. getting older. And then you realize, because you really don't get that with the David Tennant doctor, because he's so full of energy right. and so bouncy all the time, not with the Matt Smith, where mm-hmm. occasionally you will get these flashes that he is this incredibly old man. I've said it before. One of the things I liked about Tennant's performance is that he had those glasses he would put on. Occasionally. To occasionally, to kind of give you the impression that his eyes were weak, that, that he was breaking down a bit. But in this scene, where he's sitting mm-hmm. there, and he's talking about getting... This is one of the few times that I, at least, got the impression yeah. that this is a guy that's over 900 years old. He doesn't look it, but he is that old because him and this genuinely old human are talking right. about aging and getting old and seeing people that they know die. To me, that was a very moving scene. Any you know, scene David Tennant and Bernard Cribbins had were magic. What I come away with from their relationship is that the Doctor has a family on Earth. That he can always go back to Wilfred, and Wilfred will take him in and treat oh, yeah. him as a family member. Yeah. I love that dynamic. And Which is something very special for somebody like yeah. a doctor who's lost his people. I love the fact that Wilfred, being the old army guy, gets a chance to relive his old glories in that firefight. Yeah. Agreed. More Are you out of good things? Yeah, we're running out of good things. All right, I've got a lot of good things. Take the, it away. For three minutes, 
when the doctor shows up on the ice planet of the Ood, he is fucking hysterical. It is a great way to set the tone of the episode. He's talking about knocking up the queen. He's, the, he's using the TARDIS like a keyless remote. Chirp, chirp. It is damn funny. I thought that was a good way to start, and then they immediately jump into the master's back, whether you like the master or not. The impact is, he's laughing, and suddenly things have become deadly serious. Doctor, doctor, I like, doctor, that, doctor, tra- doctor, I like doctor. that transition. As much as I hated the Sims Master and the Sound of Drums, because there's nothing more annoying than the Sims Master than an entire fucking planet of Sims Masters oh, shivering at each other. Oh, Lord. This is his plan?! That was horrible. I like the build-up of the Time Lords coming back. I didn't like the payoff, but I like yeah, the build-up. That was kind of exciting. And once I realized the narrator was Timothy Dalton, yeah. I about shit myself. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. And I'm sitting there. I said, wait a minute. I know that voice. It was driving me crazy. Yeah. And then when I saw Timothy Dalton, I, I said, the whoa. the problem with the Time Lords is that all of a sudden they're reduced to being one-dimensional villains. Davies backed himself into a corner. If he's not going to do a full season of the Time War, this is the best shot he's got. It was his plotline, the Time Lords, and the Time War. It was his job to finish it, not Moffat's. And unless he was going to devote a whole season, this is the best he was going to be able to do. I'm not giving him a pass on it, but I'm just saying I understand why it happened that way. Also, Um, the freaking Kassaba melon people. The little guys with the prickly faces. Yes. Why did we need them? Why? Comedy relief. I don't want comedy relief. When you've got David Tennant running around and doing chirp-chirp noises with the TARDIS, Mm -hmm. you don't need two freaking Laurel and Hardy-looking motherfuckers. Dude, thank you for reminding me. When he's on the scaffolding going down the stairs Mm -hmm. and yells, Worst rescue ever, that was fucking hysterical. And that's what Doctor Who works, is when you throw action and comedy and romance and emotion, you throw all that together, that's what the, the pot, man, the whole mix, that's when it works. I didn't think so. I thought it was just awful and indulgent, and you could have cut the Zochi, that's the name of the alien race, out entirely and still had a decent show. I think you could have done the comedy with anybody. I don't think it had to be them. Yeah, you had far too much of the two of them, especially the male one, dithering and dithering and dithering, and it just wasted a lot of time. Of course, if you want to talk about a waste of time, let's talk about the final frickin' 15 minutes of this damn show. And I'm going to come down on the opposite side because you're always wrong. If Peter Jackson, after three movies, can have a wrap-up that takes a fucking hour, (laughs) then Russell T. Davies, who did some hours of television, can have 20 minutes, okay? And it was good. No, it wasn't. I'm so sad. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I'm so sad. I'm going to look. Hey, hello there, Mickey and Martha. Hey, hello there, granddaughter. Oh, I'm so sad. I don't want to go. Shut up already. Mickey and Martha was not good. Although I like the fact that Martha was going to die and the doctor changed history. Again, the part with Sarah Jane and her son, that gets me. Maybe I'm just a Sarah Jane weak guy, but that moment got me because there's no words exchanged mm-hmm. he just looks at her and says take care of him he could have died and, and I'm not going to see you again that was the kind of look it was just a wordless moment mm-hmm. just like damn that was powerful Donna's wedding that's I like that I, yeah I like that old business with the lottery ticket that's what I would do if I had a time machine I'd go and get me a winning lottery ticket and I'm glad I finally got to see somebody do that <laughs> well the thing about the lottery ticket made it so special was he borrowed the money from Donna's dad and Donna's dad was in Runaway Bride and then the actor died he was going to be Yeah, he was scene. supposed to, I remember he, them he saying died, that. and they brought Wilford in at the last minute. It was complete. Which uh, is one a case of just serendipity working, definitely, because I yes. loved Wilford as a character. I agree completely. Top to bottom. Absolutely. Just being able to acknowledge that he, he got the money from her dad just kind of chokes me up. 
the scene of the TARDIS fucking exploding, which really didn't make a lot of sense, but I don't care. It was visually spectacular. Yeah. You uh, can tell that they awesome. blew the budget on this one. They said, yeah, go ahead. Just You got to kind of expect that they were going to go out that way because David Tennant had been so celebrated as the Doctor. And that's probably why we got the most extended regeneration sequence out of the whole series. They yeah. really went over the top with this one. It was a new show. That was the end of Doctor Who Volume 2, if you want. We've started Volume 3, I guess you could look yeah. at Yeah. Right. With all that said, there was some really bad shit. Oh, God. I'm sorry, but the master got worse. Oh, God. What was the whole point? He's half dead, so he has to cannibalize people? What the hell? And I'm sorry, but it is so disappointing that you have these two magnificent adversaries that have been fighting through time and space for millennia. And what does their showdown come to? Pointing guns at each other, like in a John Woo movie. Which is why I'm hoping and praying that the Dream Lord is some sort of iteration of the Master. Oh, you think so? There are three possibilities. When we get to the Dream Lord episode, I will give you my three possible theories on who the Dream Lord is. None of them are the Valiant. But they, they totally must it up. This is supposed to be the ultimate confrontation. Confrontation, but yeah. The doctor and so when they're pointing the gun at each other. It's interesting. I get to see the doctor flipping back and forth with the guns. It's an interesting situation to be in because we'd never seen it before, but right. it didn't work. I did like how the doctor and the master had to team up at the end solely because that's what used to happen. All the fucking time. You're right. The Doctor and the Master yeah. always teamed up to defeat a bad guy that got out of control. Did they ever, ever, ever explain why he was shooting energy beams out of his hand? Yeah, because he's cool. No, that's not a good enough explanation. <laughs> Supposedly, I think what they said was the energy he was shooting was actually his own body's electrical energy. That's why part of the reason his body was falling apart. Every time he used his powers, he was burning his body out. It, it doesn't make any fucking sense, and it doesn't work, and it's not even interesting from a superhero perspective. Yeah. I'll give a long pass to superpowers, but that just was weird. Yeah, it's always amazing how they're always pulling out these new abilities for Time Lords whenever they're needed. We've never seen Time Lords shoot energy beams out of his hand. Now, all of a sudden, now, I guess he got access to the Force. You know? Yeah, it, it was... <laughs> Interesting, the origin of the Weeping Angels in there, supposedly. And that woman yeah. that you kept getting the glances back and forth, they've said it. It's out there in biography. That was intended to be the Doctor's mother. His mother, yeah. I choose not yeah. to believe that. But you know, it was never mentioned on the show. Does he want his mom to be human? I definitely got no, that. No, I don't want his mom to be part of this awful show. And I was saying to people when they said, oh, you really did? I said, well, isn't it pretty obvious from the way they was looking at each other? She was looking at him like a mother looks at her son. She pulls her hands away from her eyes. And yeah. Sees her. There's a clear recognition. And I did like that, even though I didn't play out well, I liked that Timothy Dalton was Rassilon. I mm-hmm. thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I, just like we give John Sims a pass for this awful master, I would definitely give Timothy Dalton a pass for this awful Rassilon. I disagree. He was not an awful Rassilon. Just the story plot points, I think, were bad in that how quickly it was all resolved. Actually, actually, a bad dog in this, I think in this because we had Timothy Dalton play that that raised it up a notch for yeah. me. I think he was a great Rassilon because Rassilon, and maybe it's more because I've read the books, the uh, extended universe stuff, Rassilon's a fucking asshole. He is not a nice man. He fucked everybody over, and that's how, according to you know, the extended man in universe stuff. So when I saw this Rassilon, it was just an extension of that. He'd become tyrannical, and it was just like, yeah. I, I guess it's just, it comes back to the idea that I hated the fact that they bring back the Time Lords, and they are these one-dimensional, slobbering monsters. Yes, they're warmongers. Yeah. They might as well have been screaming exterminate, exterminate. Right, exactly. They might as well have been the Suntarans, or the Cybermen, or the Daleks, or any one of a dozen alien races. It ended the Time War stuff, mm-hmm. finally. You put that behind us. 
It gave some closure to that. I always suspected Gallifrey was actually going to come back. Oh, yeah. Uh, I may come back for good, but this closed the door on that. And I'm glad he works better as the lonely exile. See, I had always suspected that once Russell T. Davies opened up that idea that there were alternate dimensions in the new series, I thought that was his back door if he ever wanted to bring back the Time War. Yeah. That has a last gambit shifted all of Gallifrey into an alternate dimension. This sort of kind of what they gave us. So at the end of Emo Doctor, he finally regenerates. By the way, can I just say I miss each regeneration being different from the one before it? Really? Yeah, yeah I hate that now everyone has to be, oh my gosh, big yellow lights are flying out of my limbs. I'm okay with it. One more thing, I watched the series, or I call it series finale, with my stepson, 10-year-old, mm-hmm. and the scene with Rose. If you have to bring Rose in the goodbye scene, it's a clever way to use her. However, he turns to me and he goes, what happened to Rose? Why'd she get so ugly? Yeah, Billy Piper has not aged well. She um, was freaking hideous. I mean, Greg, okay, she was never quite my type. She was very hippie and very horsey. She looked better when she had a little bit of weight. She yeah. had that baby fat yeah. in her face, but now mm-hmm. she lost that baby fat to play a hooker. Yeah. So, but you yeah. know what? The thing about Billy Piper was, and you and I talked about this in the previous episodes, they put her in that dumpy chav outfit. And when they gave her a chance to get out of it, like in The Unquiet Dead, or The Empty Child, mm-hmm. or in The Lantern, when yes. they gave her a chance to dress up, she wore period dress really well. Very well, yeah. And as coarse as she looked face as she was, she had one of those mega wattage smiles that just blow your hair back. Dude, she was hot. I'm sorry. Didn't matter what she was. It wasn't my type. Not necessarily my type either, but I recognized yeah. she had... What's that? As opposed to the companion we're about to talk about. It was definitely my type. <laughs> but, um, I'm calling you to task on this one, buddy. So... After Emo Doctor has his regeneration, he turns into Crispin Glover. Yes, from Back to the Future. Yes, yes, exactly. In your neck of the the country, do they have the big bus signs advertising Doctor Who? Uh, I saw pictures of them, but we did not have those of them in my... So they were all around New York for the month before it premiered on BBC. First America. time I'd ever seen that Doctor Who advertised yeah. on the side of a bus. And my first, first thought time it ever was in this country, buddy. Yeah. yeah. And my first thought literally was, what is Crispin Glover doing on the TARDIS? The day the pictures were released, the very first pictures of him mm-hmm. in costume when they were on beach filming the Angel episodes because those were filmed first. Right. I actually posted them to my blog, and I, that's onceuponageek.com and wrote, you plugged it. Don't you know, worry. He, he looks just like the dad from Back to the Future. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Everyone sees it. Matt Smith, who is the youngest actor to play the Doctor... And who's not a fan of the show, whereas David Tennant was a huge fan of the show. Supposedly, they were not keen on seeing him, but once he did the audition, Moffat said, this is the guy. Yeah, and Um, he was right. Yes, he was. He was very right. This started with an expanded episode called The Eleventh Hour, or as I like to call it, Stephen Moffat's Greatest Hits. No shit. Thank you. That episode (laughs) is... Awesome. Some of the alien plot stuff is just, uh, if I'm, again, if I'm using the term right, MacGuffin, it's just there. But you will admit, for, the rest of it. Shag, don't get me wrong, this is an episode that I liked a lot. That it was literally every single one of Stephen Moffat's tricks in a giant mashup. You were not complimenting it. I like this episode a lot. The things I like, I like yep. Amy as a child. 
Yep. I like the whole eerie feel of that village. Right yeah. from the start, I got the feeling that things not right with this mm-hmm. village. I like the montages of all the doctors at, yeah. at the end. That big speech, yes. And of course, the big speech, which now I guess has become yeah. a Matt Smith thing every three or yeah. four episodes. It does seem that way, yeah. He gets to have the big speech where he tells the alien, piss off or I'm going to fuck up your day. The two, <laughs> the, the two things I think that define Matt Smith is one, he's into the speechifying, mm-hmm. and two, he is the angriest doctor we have ever had. He seems positively seething with rage. That's one of the two things I like about Matt Smith, as we've discussed. Mm -hmm. One of the first things I like about it is that I haven't seen another doctor give the impression of the doctor's age like he does. Because occasionally he will hunch over like an yeah. elderly man and he does this thing with his hands the way he holds his hands. Yes. Right. In the Big Bang, he's doing that all the time where he's doing this kind of like creep, creep, creep. Right. Thing. He's hunched over like an old man and he, he, he does that thing. And the second thing is he actually scares me with how he'll go from being this lovable goofball and then boom, he turns on the anger and all of a sudden you're standing back and say, whoa, this yeah. guy's getting ready to go nuclear. This is literally, this is a doctor who wears his emotions entirely on the surface. Yeah. There are no depths to this doctor. I mean, when he gets mad, he gets he gets mad. It's interesting. Tenet started that way, and mm-hmm. they never continued it. In the Christmas special, when he mm-hmm. kills the Sycorax, who comes after him, and he's like, no second chances. Yeah. That moment. Because that's the kind of doctor see. I am. Exactly. That's what I thought we were going to see. Like, wow, this yeah. guy is just going to be hard ass. But or, or, it's Matt or, Smith who's got that trait, actually. Or like in Human Nature, where yeah. he puts those aliens that have been oh, chasing gosh. them. That was some cold shit he did to them, boy. Yep. I said, holy yep. shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Matt Smith, you get the feeling that if this guy ever really does decide to really blow. Yeah. God uh, help us if you ever get sick of our shit. So you kind of understand why all of his enemies get together. Yeah. And say, you know something. <laughs> what is this? Put him in this big box for the rest of his. Yeah, let's know because if he, I get that, and I love the fact that it makes sense. People, the first thought is, well, why don't they just kill him? It's like because they've tried yeah. again. Well, they have and again yeah. and again, and he keeps coming back. Well, he regenerates. Oh, they should just kill him. Well, they have killed him. We're getting kind of ahead of. I enjoyed it, but I thought it was ridiculous. The bad guys all teamed up. It just didn't make sense. But well, you know, it reminded me of the old monster rally from Universal. But anyway, two hour is my favorite episode of the season. It's. Incredible. The opening with the child, the fish custard, all of that. It is such a joy. As much as I like Tenet, his episodes towards the end were heavy. It felt like I had a weight on my shoulders. Like I was wearing a really heavy backpack every time I watched it because there was so much emotional baggage. This was a fresh start. I don't have any problems with the new opening of the new theme. I know a lot of people do. I think it's fine. I love the way the TARDIS looks. I dig Mm -hmm. that. I love all the shiny brass, I guess. It works all the way around. I love the bow tie. And I also love... Bow tie is cool. In this one, this is indicative, I think, of the Moffat episodes, is that we're finally getting aliens that look alien, that aren't just some iteration of something that is familiar to humanity in humanoid form. Those freaky-deaky eyes with the star patterns behind them were pretty weird. Every one of the aliens that we see, even the fish people, still look like something that we wouldn't see in reality. Every time something comes up about an eyeball around Mm -hmm. my house, my four-year-old daughter goes... Like patient zero, daddy? (laughs) (laughs) She remembers the guard, not the alien. And of course we get Amy Pond, which Derek does not like. Go ahead, Derek. You say your bit. I want to hear Thomas's and then I'll add mine. Well, it's not that I don't like her. It's just that the name of the show is Doctor Who. I watch the show for Doctor Who. The companions are an element of the show. They should not take over and dominate the show. And I will contend that she does not take over. However, I will say this. 
in light of having seen the whole season and when we get to the Pandora open, certain bad. things that are revealed in there puts my opinion of Amy in a new light because now I can clearly see why her characterization is so inconsistent right. through the whole thing. I like the actress. The one thing we should mention about season five is season five, it's obvious that unlike Russell T. Davies, where you got the impression that there were times when he was just kind of throwing things on the wall to see what sticks, Moffat had every beat planned out from beginning yeah. to end. Yeah. Yeah, that's the benefit of watching some other guy do the show for four years. Yeah, there are a number of times where I think that there are scenes in there where Moff is just looking and going like, really, this is what you were doing. I have gotten so tired of American television shows saying, oh yeah, well, we've got this thing planned out. We've got, we know what's going to happen from A to Z. And when you get into the second or third season, you can clearly see that they're making it up as yeah. they go along. Not this season of Doctor Who. Everything was planned from soup to nuts. They had it all mapped out. And the other thing I think that is an overriding thing of the season is that Moffat was trying to move the series away from the Whedonverse view that Russell T. Davies had, still keeping it within that spirit, but positioning it more closer to classic Who. There's, in fact, and you and I have talked about this, the two-parter, The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood, is pretty much, for all extents and purposes, an old-school four-part serial. Yeah. Down to the point where you can see the breaks in the 20-minute mark. Let's talk about Amy some more real quick. Okay. So, Thomas, explain your love of Amy. Well, we're waiting. We're waiting, okay. For you to explain your love of Amy. <laughs> I want to hear the charges. How do you handle a girl like Maria? Okay. Here's the charges. Before I start in, I will say I really like the companion of Amy quite a bit. Yes. All right? Now I'm going to talk out the other side of my mouth. How can you not like Rose, but like Amy? Let me go through my bits here. Because, talk about two-dimensional characters. You said that about Rose and selfish. Amy is even less dimensional than Rose. Because she's just the girl who's there to go travel with him. And is talk about selfish. She's trying to fuck the doctor while she's still trying to dangle her boyfriend, fiancé, along as well. Know what I mean? She's going to have adventures on her wedding night. She's a terrible, terrible person. Know what her main character trait is? She's never dressed appropriately. And I like that. (laughs) She is a worse person than Rose. Even though I like her more. So I don't understand how you can... See, okay, I don't... Okay, first off... support Amy. Okay. I think it's just because Russell T. Davies is gone. I think you're giving her a bigger pass. No, 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 my friend. First off, it's obvious, unlike Rose, who just doesn't give two shits about Mickey, that she cares for Rory. I don't know. I don't know that I ever felt... I saw there were a couple scenes where they tried to demonstrate that, but I don't know that I ever felt that. I got it. I got the fact that she... And I think also we have to take into account the fact that this whole season was... Here's where the spoilers come in. Yeah. One big trap designed by whoever the silence is based on her thoughts, preferences, and fears. Which is why a lot of it is surface. But I think you were okay with her even before that was revealed. I think there's a difference between Amy's... I think you're backpedaling, buddy. Amy Sass. Sass? I don't think she's anywhere near as selfish as Rose is. Oh, my God. She's, she's I'm did, sorry. She just mad with worse. Rose was dangling on an estranged boyfriend. This girl's dangling on her fucking fiancé the night before their wedding. To me, Let's just call it. Let's call it what it is. I don't, she's hot. I mean, she's and no, so, I don't even think she's hot, but that's because I like women who look like women, like River Song. But well, she's just annoying. She just mouths off for no reason. But as we discussed earlier, I said that I think that if she was dealing with a doctor 
that looked older because the Matt Smith doctor looks closer to mm-hmm. her own age. Right. So she yeah. kind of treats him more or less as a peer. So I think right. that's why she's a little bit more mouthy to him. Whereas if it was, say, the John Pertwee or Tom Baker, mm-hmm. I think she'd be a little bit more respectful and, of and the age the way she, and deferential to them and she wouldn't mouth off the way that she does. And look at the way she interacts with characters who are older and younger than her. That's true. In The Beast Below or in Victories of the Dollars, the way that she interacts with the other doctor, not the, the doctor doctor, and Winston <laughs> Churchill. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, with Vincent Van Gogh, I love the way that she interacted with Vincent yes. Van Gogh. That's one of the episodes See, I, lo- I, really, me, I really like Amy. Yeah. That to me shows more of a depth and sensitivity than Rose ever showed. If you want to convince yourself of that, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll talk the other side. I love her as a character. I think she's cute as a button. I think she's sexy as hell. I married a hot redhead. You, by you, the know, way. So you know what it partial is? Partial to hot redheads. I think she's very interesting. She's got a great look. I think honestly, the reason she probably got the job was because they were thinking about that whole angels and they wanted somebody with really big yeah. eyes because she's got the big eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look you know, in a lot of scenes. She has but these I, wonderful I, facial expressions. Occasionally, I will look at what she's doing in the background, and she's not stealing the scene, but she's doing interesting things with her facial expression that lets you know what Amy is thinking, even though she has no dialogue. You guys mentioned Sass. Her spunk and her sass are off the charts. She's awesome. Yes. I love her as a companion, and I'm sorry if I pushed you in a corner there, Thomas. That was on purpose. I think Amy's an awesome companion, and I think, honestly, if this was the first season mm-hmm. of the revitalized Doctor Who, if the previous seasons had not happened, I think the world would be in love with Amy like they were in love with mm-hmm. Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, good point. What sealed the deal for me about how much I adore this one, it's the combination, I think, I think you got something about like the facial expression, but also that voice. Mm-hmm. With that thick Scottish brogue. Yeah. 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 And there's something about that coming out of that face mm-hmm. that really just sends me over the moon. It's sexy. No mm-hmm. denying it. She's awesome. Well, let's talk a little about Rory. I've heard a lot of the anti-Mickey Rory sort of talk. And at first, I was lukewarm on Rory. But very quickly, I realized that he's an interesting character. And by the end of the season, and again, yeah. spoilers, I was punching the air with excitement, seeing Rory and Amy and the Doctor going off on the next adventure together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was so excited to see the TARDIS dynamic changing to a threesome. That they, they I love the fact season. that he's passive, but he gets the job done. He's very different in that, because usually when you have a male companion like that, he's the guy that does all the punchy-punchy run-run. Right. Whereas it's obvious that Rory, I think a lot of this is due to Arthur Darvell's amazing performance, mm-hmm. is, if anything, more thoughtful than the Doctor is. It's like a throwback, because yeah. my own little personal project is I've been Netflixing mm-hmm. the old Doctor Who's and watching them from the beginning. He actually reminds me of a lot of the companions from the Hartnell era, yeah. the male companions, mm-hmm. yeah. and that, yeah, he's he, a little bit more... Ian and Stephen? Yeah. Right, yeah, there you well, go. Well, I've told you that I think there's a definite Patrick Troughton vibe in this TARDIS, mm-hmm. only... Instead of Rory being Jamie and Amy being Zoe or mm-hmm. Victoria, mm-hmm. The, the gender roles are switched. Okay. Ooh, that's good. That's good. I like that. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Amy is Jamie. Mm-hmm. Was, Jamie was sassy. From a guy's perspective, he was action-oriented. He was the one who was out there. And Trotten was interesting because he was, it was a funny, he was right. a clown, but he also had moments where he just scared the hell out of you. Like, there's one scene in Moonbase where he pulls aside somebody and he's like, you know, there are things in our universe that are dark and these mm-hmm. things must be fought. And it's just this powerful moment, just like Matt Smith. And yeah, 
That's a really good analogy, guys. Let's talk about some of the individual episodes. Vampires of Venice. <laughs> I was actually going to go with Victories of the Daleks because I wanted to, oh, uh, to touch God. upon the redesign of the Dalek, which takes its cue from the 1960s uh, movies with Go Go Power Rangers with Peter Cushing. Dude. The Skittles Daleks. I, have <laughs> I like that better. The Skittles Daleks. I fucking hate them. Say, you know what they might as well have done? Put name tags on them. Yeah, exactly. Sean, Barry, <laughs> Doug. Barry the Dalek. I am going <laughs> to the water cooler. Oh, my I God. I fucking hated that moment. It- hydrate. Must hydrate. Oh my! I, I I was so sure that the end of the season, because you know they established things getting sucked into the cracks of yeah. the race from history. I was so sure the Skittles Daleks were going to get a race from history because oh I thought God. I'm like I have so much faith in Moffat. He can't be serious. This has got to be some sort of inside joke. The Power Ranger Daleks. It was a homage to the Amicus films. I don't care. It's terrible. Some it, homages it, should never say. be seen. Now, unfortunately, it's part of the Terry Nation estate agreement that they have to use the Daleks once a year. I'm okay with that. I, w- I wish they could give them a rest for a couple of years. Well, I don't want to yeah. see them multiple times a season. I think one episode, and it could be low-key, it'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. I will yeah. say that this episode, Victory of the Daleks, is the moment where I finally bought Matt Smith as a Doctor Holy and completely, which is when he did the Jamie Dodger thing. Where he's got the, the buttons like, this is the self-destruct of the TARDIS. You know that if the TARDIS goes up, you all go up. Okay. So back off. This is not really a button. It's like, you're right. It's a Jamie Dodger. You promised me tea. That, to me, sold him. Then we get the two-parter, the Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone, where Stephen Moffat proves that, yes, he told you everything you knew about the Weeping Angels, but not everything that he knew. <sighs> okay. The Angels episodes? Mm-hmm. Not my favorite. I'm very conflicted by these episodes because I firmly believe that they should have left Blink alone. Because, first of all, as we said before... That is one of the scariest hours yeah. of television I have ever seen. And that should have it, been left alone. Time of Angels it, is it is one of the best hours of science fiction television ever. Oh, absolutely. Time uh, yeah. of Angels is definitely better than Flesh and Stone. I think Flesh and Stone doesn't follow through as well. Yeah, it does not. Uh, but you have the moment with the videotape in the Time of Angels, which I think is on par with some of the stuff in Blink. Yes, where she's watching the tape yeah. and becomes part of it. Yes, that was cool. I dug what came later in the season with the time jumping where yeah. the doctor was there or what he shouldn't have been. That was cool. They showed... And it did have a great cliffhanger. Yes. They showed an angel move. Oh, there you go. That pissed me off. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole point. You don't see him move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think having the doctor confront the angels probably was something that just had to happen. So, right. as much as I wish they left Blink alone, I understand why they did it. Yeah. Especially cool, considering they how they popular cool they are. But I think it could have been better done in maybe a one part, yeah. even where the Doctor and the Angels almost barely brush against each other, and the Doctor may not even win. Right. It would have been better, but... Then we go... I didn't, I didn't hate it. Yeah. No, I didn't hate it either. I just hope that now they've got the Angels out yeah. of this system, and we never see them again. I fucking hate River Song. I don't care. Who okay, now what? it's time. It's time for you to get him. What? I'm stepping back here. I'm going to let Derek Whale into you. Okay. It's mostly oh, oh. the actress. Okay. I, mean, I can't you don't, stand. Really? You don't like Alice? Okay. I hate her. How come? I hate her. She's butt ass ugly for starters. If you just want to start. <gasps> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 
Derek. I'm sorry. Man. I uh, listen. Okay, I first encountered the actress uh, PBS. They showed a movie, uh, Boudicca, Warrior Queen, about a right. 16th century Britain. There was this woman warrior. Her husband got killed. She had to take over, and she was fighting the invading Romans. That's where I first encountered the actress, and I really liked her in that role. You like her in ER? This is the strangest thing. I never even knew she was on ER because I never watched ER, so I had no idea that she was on that show. I just knew her through this movie, and then when I saw her on Doctor Who, when they did the episodes where she was in in the library. Right, the library. And that was it. I just fell in love with this actress. I find her totally captivating. I love her voice. I love her eyes. And I think that she brings a level of, although I will admit, I do think they go a little bit overboard with this thing about, oh yes, well doctor, I know things about you I'm not supposed to tell. And they beat us over the head with it a little bit too much. But I do like the element of mystery that she brings. Which is why I'm fascinated to see what's going in season six. As I've told you, Moffat has confirmed there is an episode where we are finally going to see that first meeting. You're right. Is it the same actress or a different? Yeah, it's going to be, I'm assuming it's going to be the same actress. Uh, see, I probably would be fine with River Song if it was a different actress. I, I okay. just cannot separate the two. Okay. And I, I despise that actress so much. I admit you're right. She does have a cool voice, and she does have a presence. She can yeah. take control of a room. I don't know what it is yeah. about her that she can just suddenly hold court, and, and, everyone, and everyone's listening to her. Well, see, it's like the woman who played Madame Pompadour, who you right. said is going out with David Tennant. Mm-hmm. You need yeah. to find an actress who has that kind of presence that you can realistically say, "Okay, I can see the doctor having a relationship mm-hmm. with her." There's yeah. not a lot of actresses that you can look at that and say, "Okay," but this one, Alex Kingston, who plays River Song, she has that presence. Right. As you said, Shag, I can see the Doctor having some kind of relationship with her. And I really like the fact that the River Song in Silence of the Library and Forest of the Dead is very different from the River Song we've seen in this season, who is basically the Indiana Jones of the Doctor Who universe. Yeah, because she even does an inverse thing from the uh, Temple of Doom, where she gets the guy to swallow the bomb. And then she blows up the Dalek, which she... she I love that moment. Yes. So, again, I like the character, I like her actions, I just, I hate the actress so much that I have a hard time when she's on screen. I have to just think about her actions without thinking about her. Now, see, that's exactly that. I understand what you mean, because I feel the same way about Amy. I can't stand the character, but I love the actress, because I've seen her in interviews. It's the character I can't stand. I'm just hoping she doesn't go down the Casey Mulligan role and decides to move to America and becomes lost in a generic. Or, let me give you two words, Christopher Eccleston. (laughs) The search for Christopher Eccleston continues today. We looked under a mattress on the Bowery. He wasn't there. It's like, where's Waldo? Where's Christopher Eccleston? I I have a feeling that David Tennant might be disappearing soon, too, because he's got a pilot and I think he got picked up here in America that was on, I think NBC was supposed to be? Somebody, Rex is not my lawyer. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere there is a bar in the world, gentlemen. And in this bar, Brian Cox is sitting yeah. there and Doug Gray Scott. Yep. And a couple other actors. And in walks Christopher uh, Eccleston. And they pull up a chair and they say, yeah. Join us, my join friend. Us, my join up. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the next, which is, I think, probably the least effective of this season, which is Vampires of Venice. Oh, yeah. There's some good comedy bits in this one. <laughs> bachelor Party shirt. Yeah. I still laugh when I think about that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, this, I actually fell asleep during it. Yeah. My wife had to wake me up because she was watching it, and she wasn't very impressed either. So I'm not watching this shit without you. Yeah. Wake up. 
So I had to rewind and like, it still was not interesting. I'm kind of pretty tired of the whole aliens disguising themselves as human. Yeah, but thing, I, mean, I think the know. only purpose for this show was to advance the two plots. The Amy and Rory plot on one hand and the silence plot. Yeah. Because there was no other real reason for the giant crab fish people to be around except to just tell the doctor, oh yes, we were there and then the silence came. Did they mention the silence in that? Yes, at the very end. Yeah, at the very end, yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember. She has this cool. little speech yeah. about how they were a happy planet, and then the silence came. And oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Huh? That's the only reason that episode is there. And then we get Amy's Choice. I love Amy's Choice. That was a great episode. Part of it is, Toby Jones is what I want the Master to be in the modern the series. Yeah, the Dream, the Dream Lord. Yeah, because Toby Jones is snarky. Yeah. He's sarcastic. But he's also really, really scary. Unlike John Sims. See, I don't want him as the master. I want him as the king of the land of fiction. <gasps> now that's a possibility I didn't consider. Which goes back to the mind robber. Oh my god, that's yeah. good, Shag. That is good. Because he's, he's cute. He's yeah. Mesoplick. plick. I mean, that's who the guy. Yeah, was. right. There you go. That's what I'm sitting here thinking. Who does he remind? Who did Here's my three yeah. possible beliefs as to who the Dream Lord is. One, he's the master operating from behind the time lock. So he can't physically affect the doctor, but he can affect him psychically because of their link. I don't think he's evil enough. For the way that he was set up, I don't think the character is evil enough for them to make him the master. Two, he is an agent of the Black Guardian. That'd be interesting. You'd have to figure the Black Guardian eventually be going like, Yeah, that's right. The doctor fucked me over. It's time to hurt him. A lot. Well, when they look back at the echelon of really badass bad guys, he's up there. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to pull him from the old days, they need the Ice Warriors first, goddammit. I'm in agreement there. My third theory is that the Dream Lord is some sort of manifestation of one of the, the handful of psychic-based alien races through Doctor Who, like the Mara or the Mandragora Helix. Yawn. Well, that's the least interesting. The one that I like the most, of course, is the one that makes him the master. But I think the most likely of the three is the Black Guardian theory. I think he's simply what the Doctor described. I think he's the Doctor's dark side. But we have it established that the Doctor has been lying to Amy throughout the season. Mm, So what's to say that this isn't a lie? To hide the fact. I I wish it was the land of fiction thing, Mm -hmm. but that's just me. I love that theory, actually. That's a good theory. Then we get to the Hungry Earth, Cold Blood. The thing that fascinates me about this is it is, for all intents and purposes, an old-school four-part. It's a throwback episode. Yeah. Yeah. The second part was better than the first one. Well, the first one is basically Punchy Punchy Run Run. Yeah. And is it just me, or did they go crazy with the budget on this one? Yes, they spent a lot of money on this one. You're absolutely right. I like the redesign of the Solarians. It just, they looked a little too human. I like the redesign because it allowed the actors more expressiveness with their face. That's true. That's a good point. I like the character of the wife of the two researchers. Mm-hmm. I think she'd make a great companion. Just for the fact that her and the doctor clicked on an intellectual right. basis. And she was really turned on by finding this civilization up under the earth. She really fell into the whole vibe of being a right. doctor. She was almost like being a companion yeah. without being an official companion. I liked her She had the same sort of purpose that Martha had in those first four episodes. Mm-hmm. That I liked so much. Which is that she was there for the discovery. But yeah. You know what character I liked, interestingly enough? The little boy's mom. The one who made the bad decisions mm-hmm. that caused all of this. And I didn't like her because I agreed with her. I didn't like her because she made a good choice. Yeah. I liked her just because people do that. Right. People yeah. make bad decisions. Well, at its and core, this is a Romero monster movie. Because yeah. what happens? People fuck it up for themselves. 
that made her character interesting to me. And also Matt Smith, I liked his whole thing of bringing these two races together and that was his whole thing. He said this is a turning point and he kept trying to emphasize that, that this is a turning point for your whole race and you can do this and you can do great things and you can be the best that you man to get. We're starting to get these little Smith speeches. Mm-hmm. That seems <laughs> to be his thing. Apparently he likes delivering them right. and they like writing them for him. Because he sells it so well. When he's standing there talking about the best that humanity can be. Right. It makes me want to be a better person. Right. It makes me want to stop and, 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 and <laughs> his, his best speech is yet to come. From this two-parter, we get what is my other favorite episode of the season. Even though it has a really stupid chicken monster in it. <laughs> Part of the reason I love this episode is because I suffer from mental illness, including a very crippling depression. And I really appreciated the approach that was taken towards this subject mm. in this show. It was incredibly powerful, other than the chickens, which <laughs> even I didn't mind the chicken too much. It was an incredibly powerful episode. It was handled very tactfully, right. very pleasantly. It was a level of maturity that I didn't expect to see in a Doctor Who episode, but yeah. I welcome seeing it, mm-hmm. if for nothing else, then it was a change of pace. Although I wonder, and I've... I've Reached this theory with you in the past, Derek, mm-hmm. about the last scene where Amy and the doctor take Vincent to the gallery. Oh, I had a lump in my throat. It's a powerful thing, but what I took away from that, and maybe it's because one of my favorite performers for a long time was the uh, monologous Spalding Gray, who committed suicide after seeing a preview screening of Big Fish in which he thought he was given permission to die. I wonder, especially since they established that this story takes place just a few short weeks before he does himself in. If by taking him there, not intentionally, but any extent of the matter, if Amy and the doctor gave Vincent permission the next time he falls so deep into depression to kill himself. I think that's an interesting discussion point, and it's possible. I don't think that was what they were hinting at in the script, though. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying, and I think it's quite possible, but I don't know that that... You were supposed to end on a high right. note, for the most part. Yes, he still killed himself, but he painted the picture for Amy. He got to see happiness and joy and his recognition. Well, I, don't want to, to, I don't want to consider that option. And when you ask that question, you have to ask a further question, I think. Why did the doctor pick that moment? In time? Out of the whole time of Vincent Van Gogh's life, he could have visited him. Why did he choose to visit him a few short weeks before he committed suicide? So that's when the painting was painted? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, he saw the, well, he saw the chicken in the window. Bingo. Uh, thank God that wasn't the name of the episode. The chicken in the, the window. chicken in the window. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Knighty. Yeah. It was really interesting to have him on there. Besides the fact he's an amazing actor and his deliverance was awesome in the bow tie. Bill Knighty has been often, his name always comes up whenever they're casting the Doctor. Really? And, oh, yeah. When all the betting was going on for who was going to be the doctor before Chris Rockston got the role, Bill Knight's name was out there. I don't know whether it's true or not, but a lot of people said Knighty was in discussions with it and lost Eccleston. I don't know if that's true or not. But it was neat to see Knighty on Doctor Who. God, what a good actor. And if I'm saying his name wrong, I'm embarrassed. But you're always wrong, so it's okay. Aw, fuck you very much. Yes, so, Vincent and the Doctor, definitely one of the best episodes of the season. I wonder if the show could have worked without the giant chicken monster. I understand that the giant chicken monster had sort of a purpose, that really because it was blind, there was some sort of kinship between it and Vincent, but they haven't done a straight historical for how long? In ages. Since, I think, Black Orchid, right? Black Orchid, and before that, it was the Highlanders. Patrick Trotton literally only did one historical. It's all was heart now, other than Highlanders and Black Orchid. That was it. Have they just become, they have to throw a monster in They have that, regardless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think they're at that point. We had a near historical, oh, I have to go back. I don't remember which one it was. 
We had one that was nearly a historical. Fires of Pompeii probably doesn't qualify because yeah, it was aliens. because there was there were aliens in there. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing, the thing I do <laughs> like about the quote-unquote pseudo-historicals that have been in the modern era is they take a great deal of care in casting each of these historical figures. We did not even mention the Unicorn and the Wasp, which was the Agatha Christie. Oh, uh, yeah. That was a good one. That was not a near historical, but there was a lot of historical mm-hmm. weight on it. Well, wasn't that uh, based on an actual incident in Agatha Christie's yes. life where she disappeared? Fact, Julia. Like, the, she, the movie yes. Julia she is just, based on that. Right. She disappeared, and to this day, nobody knows where mm-hmm. she went or what happened to her. Okay. So the next one is The Lodger by Gareth Roberts. Interestingly enough, this one is based on a comic strip. Right. Well, they always do one episode based on uh, an expanded universe property. What was it during season four, then? The Fires of Pompeii. Although, of course, they added aliens. Oh, you think that was supposed to be that was Fire Yeah, Falcon? definitely. Oh, speaking of Fires of Pompeii, I read something just last night. I didn't even realize it. The woman that plays Amy Pond, she appeared in this episode? Yeah. She was one of the seers. Ah. Oh, okay. Did not know that. Are you really sure that that's supposed to be based on the Vulcan one from Big Finish? Yes, I'm pretty sure that that is based on the Fires of Vulcan. Interesting. Well, like I said, there's an alien in it. No, no, no. I'm I'm with you on all that. I hadn't heard that. Expanded Universe is kind of my wheelhouse. It's where I prefer to live. I love that place. I just... Sorry. (laughs) A lot of people are divided on this one. It's cute. Yeah. Yeah. I have to ask, is this the second unit show? The show that the second unit does throughout the... Oh, yeah, it's gotta be. That's what I figured. I figured that they must have shot all of Amy's parts after hours thing in one take. Yeah. It's gotta be. And we get to see Matt Smith, who at one time was almost a professional soccer player, play soccer. Seriously? Seriously, yes. Really? I didn't know that. By the way, the comic strip this was based on was similar. It, it was actually the David Tennant doctor living with Mickey. <laughs> it was riotously funny. Written by the same guy, too. But, but a lot of people don't like this one. A lot of people yeah. like it. I think it's cute. Yeah. And that's what Gareth Roberts is known for, is yeah. whimsical fun stuff. Whimsical, that's the word I'm looking for. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a harmless, inoffensive episode that gives us yet mm-hmm. another side of this Doctor's character. Right. Which I like to call the lovable goofball. Yeah, and I love some of the little touches, because he's trying to learn to be human. What do yeah. humans do? When he gets the keys to the room, yeah. he's like, of course, my room, my room. Yes. <laughs> or of course, uh, after the game, when they're going, oh, you are so on the team, we're going to annihilate them next week. It's like, no, there will be no annihilation. We will not be annihilating anything. Is that clear? And you're talking about a match, aren't you? Now, I didn't even mean for it to segue this way, but we mentioned the Unicorn and the Wasps, written mm-hmm. by the same guy as Bertha Lodger. Oh, so okay. you get the whimsy from that. You see some of it here. Because Unicorn and Wasp has one of the absolute funniest yeah. Dr. Donna moments ever. Whimsy is probably the best word for it. Yeah. It's a nice break before the big... And, of course, the Doctor playing matchmaker between these two... I think it would be accurate to call them schlubs. Yeah. It's not a major episode. It's not one that I would tell people, oh, yeah, well, you got to see it, you got to see it. But it is a nice change of pace. Like you said before, the darker stuff yeah, comes. Yeah, and it's and, definitely you know. a step up. I find that the second unit episodes are either really, 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 really incredibly dreadful or incredibly good. And this is, I think, one of the ones that are closer to the good side than the dreadful side. I know you hate loving monsters, but I, th- I think it's a stitch. It is hilarious. It's oh, that's the one with the group the, of people that are trying to find a doctor? The Yes, the Absorbaloft. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's funny. That's hilarious, it's, it's, man. It's ridiculous, but it's funny. All right, so this leads us to the Pandorica opens in the Big Bang. Yes. Probably the greatest finale cliffhanger ever. It's up there. I still think Turn Left's finale was stronger, where it was all the bad wolf stuff. Mm. I'm sorry. 
I think it was great. Don't get me wrong. I think Pandora yeah. Opens was really good. I thought the, the cliffhanger was very good. Before we found out, what did you think the Pandora was going to be? I, to be honest, progressed? wasn't quite sure. Nobody's not going to believe me, but yeah. I had a feeling from the beginning it's either going to open up and either the Doctor's already going to be in there, which is what I thought was going to be that it was going to open up and we were going to see an elderly Doctor or another incarnation. That's what I really was leaning right. toward. I thought it was going to be River Song. I didn't think that it was going to be a trap for the Doctor because right. we've already got the thing about well, what's the worst thing you can do is put yeah. him in a trap. So right. I didn't think that was it. Which yeah, probably but, was put in there yeah. to put that thought on in our heads. Yeah. To distract or, us from where it was going. But I thought... But or, I, or for us to look back and go... Right. Oh. But I thought that the Doctor was already going to be in there when it mm-hmm. opened. You and I were thinking the same thing, Derek. I thought it was going to be the Doctor's coffin. I thought the Doctor was dead. From the far future, it was where his body resided. Right. His coffin. Which is actually the premise of a book. That's kind of where I was leaning from. I'm glad I was wrong. I thought it was cool what they did. Oh, yeah, and then yeah. The opener of the next episode, when the Pandora <coughs> opened, and it's Amy inside. Like, yeah. Fuck. It's a wait a minute. Okay, okay now the hot pot stops. <laughs> that was awesome. So, what a oh, good episode. Uh, now, I have this strong philosophy that the new Who, if you will, is smattered with incredibly deep episodes, and then you get to the season finale where they ramp things up, and you just have to turn a blind eye to a lot of plot issues and just go, accept them. Even this one's the. There's a case of that here, too, where you, you just have to turn a blind eye to all the alien races teaming up. you got to turn a blind eye to the fact that the very act of remembering the Doctor makes right. him exist again. I remember the Subway sandwich I had last week. It's yeah. not appearing in front of me. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of you just you turn a blind eye to stuff like that because it's magic. It's a, it's a fairy tale. Somebody pointed out that that is possibly a metaphor for Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat bringing back their beloved show. That just has... A Amy oh, oh, oh. brings back the Doctor from her memories. The memories of Doctor Who that Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat had as a little kid, he, they managed to bring back their show. Could be. Yeah. And that was such a kid moment right yeah. there where you got all of the Doctor's enemies. Mm-hmm. That's something that you think of when you're 14 it years like, old it's like, and you're saying, oh, wouldn't it be cooler than me? I got a big kick out of it yeah. because to me it was like, Father, they said to the Doctor, you're tired of taking your shit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good as it's taking like a big... When- we were kids, Derek, watching those old Universal Monster rallies. Yeah. Where the stories were kind of crap, but it was the fun of seeing Frankenstein's monster and the Dracula and yeah. the Wolfman all together. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. that just. Oh, the- absolutely. You kind of hit it, Derek. My, I have a 10 year old, as I said, and we play with the action figures. Every time we play the action figures, it's all the bad guys together. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a kid's dream, and that's exactly. And my 10 year old was climbing the walls during that scene. He was so wild. Oh, I, all the bad guys together. Oh, I was on the ceiling. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Between that, and the speech he gave to the alien fleet. No, and he said, oh, "Okay, that's awesome. uh, listen, that's my favorite of the speeches. Remember who's standing between you and the Pandorico? Remember and on your darkest day. Go, think back to your absolute darkest day and remember what I put you through. And then do yourselves a favor. Let someone, someone else, else go, go first. first. <laughs> so awesome. And they, they do it right. There's a wonderful moment where there's a beat, and then you see the ship slowly go under. They said, wait a minute, we got to go think about yes. this for a minute. Let's rethink this plan first. <laughs> that was it. Blew it out to one. I have never seen anybody talk. The only one I saw talk smack like that to a space fleet was yeah. back in Babylon 5. Yeah. Remember Susan Ivanova mm-hmm. and the speech she gave? Yeah. Well, but this one is better than that one. Well, it reminded me of Eccleston at the end of the penultimate episode of his run, right. where they've kidnapped Rose. He loses his shit mm-hmm. and is yelling at the Daleks. And the very last scene is he goes, Rose, 
I'm coming to get you. And it's like, yeah! Oh, yeah. Fuck you all. Mm. You're about to learn why I'm called the Gathering Storm. Mm-hmm. And Rory. Rory was such a standout, kick-ass mm-hmm. character in the two-parter. Oh, absolutely. Now, of course, we always kind of figured that Rory had it in him, but he definitely becomes a badass. Yeah. And it becomes an auton. Yeah. And it is, it's like, that's awesome. I love that. I love in the second part where the Doctor is goading him, and he's like, oh, it's not really important. Sorry. And he just wails up and knocks him on his ass and goes, she does to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. When I watched the episode with my family, my wife pointed out the scenes where in the second one where he's time jumping around as a guy who's pretty steeped in time travel, I thought to myself, oh, this is probably going to confuse the average viewer. And she actually turned to me without me even saying this, and she said, you know what? They're doing this very well. The time travel scenes where he's jumping around, they have structured it in such a way that, and well, I think what she said, she goes, even I can understand it. Because really he a, has different props for different times. Exactly. And they talk about that in the confidential. These props, mm-hmm. they did all these things to make that time travel scene understandable. You see him put on the fez, you see him with right. a mop, and you, as a, as a viewer, you go, oh, that scene's coming up. What's with the right. fez? I wear a fez now. Fezes are cool. Fezes are cool. Fezes are always <laughs> cool. I have two favorite lines of the season, and both come from this episode. One is, I wear a fez now. Fezes are cool. Because the idea is, by putting the fez on his head, he has suddenly changed his costume in his mind. That's yeah. What he wears now, as if he would always intended to. I love that. Awesome. There's something about the way Matt Smith pronounces cool with yeah. an extra O. Yeah. And what's the other line? My other favorite line is Amy's at the, at the wedding. She gives her speech about, you know, something borrowed, something blue, and she yeah. yells, I remember you, raggedy man, and you're late for my wedding. wedding. <laughs> and yet there's still questions at the end of this. There are always questions. They should hit us over the head with it, but I'm okay with that. There should always be questions. What is behind the silence? Also, by the way, River Song gets to be the baddest of the badasses. Oh, absolutely. In this last episode. Because she kills the Dalek, or kills the book, or... No, the Dalek confrontation where she says, look me up, and the Dalek <laughs> starts begging for mercy. Yeah. So who do you think the great man that she kills is going to be? I'm still saying it's probably going to be the doctor. Everybody kind of leans toward that theory that it's the doctor. And at this point, I can't think of anybody else who it could be except for him. That's who they definitely want you to think. There's no doubt about that. It makes me think it may not be him. And I'm going with you on that one because, yeah, when you work too hard to try to make me think one thing, usually makes me think that I should be looking at other options. But maybe it's a character that hasn't been introduced yet or maybe a minor character. Or it could even be a character that they're going to bring back that Uh, we've seen. According to Alex Kingston, Moffat has the whole River Song Doctor timeline worked out. And I believe it. Based on this season and what they've done with this and how well this season has been put together, I believe it 100%. We know we're going to see more River Song I hope we don't get to see more of Liz Ten, quite frankly, who I think is just a pale carbon copy of River Song. She actually reminds me, and I don't mean to keep harping on Expanded yeah. Universe, just for the record, both Stephen Moffat and Russell T. Davies wrote some of these Expanded Universe stuff, so that's where they actually came from. There was a character who was a descendant of Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart in the novels, and she was an African-American badass who was a descendant, and just this character reminds me a lot of that character. And I wonder if it was somewhat intentional or not. I wouldn't mind seeing her again. I don't think her and River need to be in the same episode. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. God, no. Yeah. The, the world would implode. Yeah, I think that'd be a little bit too much. I wouldn't mind seeing her again. Season six has already started production. 
Oh, really? Cool. Yes. It started production July 17th. Well, are they filming the Christmas episode I'm assuming by itself, or are they doing it as part of the season? It's part of the season. Okay, so we'll get the Christmas episode, and then we'll get the rest of it later, but they're going to yeah. film it all together. And I would just like to say for the record that as somebody that in a previous episode I had said when we were doing the other Doctor Who episodes, yeah. we were speculating on Matt Smith, and I was talking about, well, I really wish that they had went a little bit older instead of making yeah. the Doctor younger. They kept saying, just wait until you see this guy. Now that I've seen him... I have to say that this is one of the few times that mm-hmm. we were talking about how great he is. This is the actor that has delivered on it and that he's become one of my favorite doctors. He's yeah. right neck and neck. For me, Tom Baker is like Sean Connery mm-hmm. of Doctor Who's and everybody is up under him. But he's neck and neck with David Tennant as far yeah. as I'm concerned as being my second favorite. You know, I doctor. think he's my favorite right now of the modern era doctors. Yeah. I was very enthusiastic about Tennant, but he sort of wore on me the longer he was around. After a while, Tennant gets exhausting to watch yeah. with all the running around and the yelling and the screaming and the jumping and the back flipping. Mm-hmm. And Matt Smith knows when to dial it down. I don't think that was Tennant's fault. I think it was the scripts. I think that they knew they had to push the emotional envelope further every time. So mm-hmm. by the end, I described it as a really heavy backpack. Felt like that with the Tennant episodes. And I don't think it was his fault. I think it was the story. He's an incredible actor. And I think Tennant's probably still my favorite, but Matt Smith's right next to him. Some of the things that we have heard, we're going to see Omega, and then Omega might be the person who is the architect behind the silence trap. Are the Time Lords coming back? Yeah. Omega, the creator of... See, my problem with bringing back another Time Lord is that we run the risk of the Mort Weisinger Superman effect. I.e., it's one thing for Superman to be the last son of Krypton, but when Superman is palling around with Supergirl and Super Baby and Super Monkey and Super Dog and Super Cat and Super Cow and Super... Gerbil. For a while there, it was Jor-El and Lara was the only ones that died on Krypton. As far as I was concerned. <laughs> I mean, for goodness sake, Superman had a whole city in a bottle. Come on. Now, granted, I think there are a couple of potential Time Lords who, providing we don't count the expanded universe, could still be out there. We need Drax. God, no. One thing I would like for them to finally establish once and for all, and I know I'm being a pain in the ass about this, folks, because I always bring this up, but I'm sorry. I want to see Susan. I want it resolved once and for all, was she really the doctor's granddaughter or not? I've been watching the William Hartnell episodes, and there's some things that she says that lead me to believe that, yes, she is a Time Lord. And there's other things that say, well, maybe she's just somebody that he just scooped up on his plan. I want her brought back. I want her story brought to a conclusion that satisfies me, at least. That's a possibility. Ronnie is another possibility. Ronnie, yeah. Imagine the Time Lords recalling all the Time Lords off-world to to Gallifrey and are going, uh, no, I've got a new experiment I'm working on. Right. Go away. I don't really want to see the Ronnie again. But I think that it's best not to have more Time Lords out there. Because, see, I had always figured that that would be a way for them when they said that the Time Lords had been wiped out, that that was a way for the Doctor to bring back the Time Lords through his granddaughter Susan, who was stuck on that future Mm -hmm. Earth with the Freedom Fighters, so she wasn't on Gallifrey when it went kablooey. It's just one of my pet peeves about the series. They've done it in the Big Finish stuff, by the way. They have? Yeah, she appeared actually with Paul McGann very recently in a Big Finish story. Oh, I gotta get a hold of that then. It's not bad. And then in the New Adventures books, they really went out of their way and really extraordinarily continuity heavy, explaining Susan whether she was his granddaughter or not. But it's not canon, but it, it was interesting. 
I'm okay with Omega coming right. back. Well, he was always He's, outside of time in that little weird bubble. Well, I don't, I don't mean from a story perspective. Yeah. You can write any story to make anything mm-hmm. work. Just from them overdoing it, because really the only time lords we've seen are the Master and then that glimpse of the Timothy Dalton pocket. If they bring him back and downplay the time lordishness and just upplay the powerful guy that the Doctors fought before, kind of thing, I think that would work. Okay, we've had rumors that the Yeti are going to be the villain oh, yeah. for right. You were a saying, revamp. You were saying that the other night, the which. I'm kind of lukewarm on, to be honest, because I think there are five or six other, most prominently the Ice Warriors. Okay. I love the Yeti. I'd rather the Ice Warriors came first. Yeah. Anything from Patrick Trotton's years. Um, Moffat is claiming that, yes, Rory's going to have lots more to do, and Yay! he is staying on as a companion. Oh, he did confirm that. Oh, yes. good. I really think that dynamic of the three is much Amy better. has a big secret, and speculation is that maybe she's got a bun in the oven. She's a boy. Oh, God. Don't say that. She's too hot. <laughs> uh, I hope she's not afraid. But you know I something? Would, or it, maybe if she just likes to wear nothing but a fez. It would be nice to see a baby on the TARDIS. No. Oh, no. Really? No. no. You know the, the moment they introduce a kid on any show, it's Jump the Shark. Yeah. Exactly. It's the little kid on Cosby Show. It's Cousin Oliver. It's over, man. Oh, of yeah. course, we should also mention that episode three of season six is going to be written by one Neil Gaiman. I read that last mm-hmm. night. Yep. yep, that's true. So, is he a big Doctor Who fan? Well, I guess he's English. Yeah. yeah, well, he's English. I guess he's, he's, a... he's British. Yeah, that's all yeah. Yes, he, yes, he's a Doctor Who fan. What do we think about well, what the, we would like to see? There's also a, there's a rumor the sun is, which is incredibly yeah. not reliable, but the sun is currently spreading a rumor that Matt Smith only wants to do two years. Wasn't the sun also the newspaper that spread the rumor that Jason Statham was going to be the doctor? Yeah. Probably. They're incredibly unreliable. They're like the Inquirer. Oi! Get the hell out my dumb car and I kick your ass. <laughs> once in a blue moon, they have a factual story. But I noticed so. that just as quickly as the son reported that, just as quickly his co-star, yeah. the actress who plays Amy, made statements yes, that she screwed that and said, no, listen, that's a bunch I of BS. I think they're having too much fun. They you know, look like... You know, that's a bunch of BS. No, but they said the same thing about Tennant leaving. Everyone's like, oh, no, he's not leaving. I always got the impression from watching those last Doctor Who Confidentials that David Tennant was tired. That he definitely had run his course yeah. in his mind. Well, he did it for what, like four years? He had the special season about four years. Four right? years. Okay, so the average life of Doctor Who was right for an actor to play is three to five three, years. Yeah, three years. Three to Basically, five years. Yeah. The average has been about three years. John Pertwee stretched it out to five, I think. I don't recall off the top of my head. He definitely went three, if not four. I just I know, know Tom Baker. Five. Tom Baker, Tom was, Baker seven. was seven. He Tom still Baker has that seven. record yeah. as the longest running. And, and Tom Baker was tired by the end, too. I mean, you see it. Well, not only was he tired, end, he had that neurological done. damage. That's why he was wiping his mouth all the time yeah. in those last couple of episodes. And also, he was a very heavy drinker back in those days, too. So he was struggling with that as and well. And the bloom was off the rose on the relationship. So there was a whole lot of bad yeah. energy floating around Tom Baker during that last season. Right, because there's, there's a great soundbite that you could find, and it's, it's a real one, it's an outtake, where he asks K9 a question. He goes, like, K9, do you know the answer? K9 goes, Negative Master, it's because K9, you never fucking know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> what good are you, bike? But I'd say about three to five years yeah. is enough anybody. However, if Matt Smith is actually thinking of leaving, I would just whisper I two words in his ear. Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> Hello! Yeah. I seem to be in this box! <laughs> Christopher Could Eccleston. somebody get me out? David Caruso got out of that box. 
So I suppose anybody can with the right vehicle. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just picturing David Caruso in front of that box laughing. <laughs> I got out. And he takes his sunglasses. Yes. And it took him, what, like 20 freaking years to dig himself yeah. out of that hole yeah, he dug for himself? Jeez. And if CSI Miami had flopped, he'd still be yeah. in that box. Yeah. Oh. And Eccleston looks over and shows him, what are you doing here, Tennant? I don't think that's the end of Tennant. I don't know that Tennant's going to blossom in the United States. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious that there were these rumors rolling around that he was going to play Bruce Banner. I just had this image of this totally manic Bruce Banner. He's skinny. Hey, uh, Terry, watch what I can do with a gamma bomb. <laughs> I actually watched the Hamlet performance yeah. he did. They showed it on PBS one night. And I watched all four hours of it. Oh, my God, Hamlet. He wasn't that bad. I've seen better Hamlets than I've seen worse. He's very versatile. And Doctor Who gave him a chance to show that versatility. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, when I see him in anything else, it's like I've already seen it. Because right. whatever role he plays, he touched on it at some point in those four years. Because he did such a wide range of stuff, whether it be comedy, drama, action, everything. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it again. I was punching the air with excitement at the end, just seeing the three of them. That cool setup line about the Orient Express and space, yeah. it was obviously just a, a throwaway, but it was just an exciting, like, okay, and there the three <laughs> go that I want to see off on another adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah perfect, so perfect way For to five end. seconds, I thought, oh boy, are we going to get to see Sutek in a Christmas special? <laughs> Do we know what the Christmas special is about yet? There are a couple of rumors. One is that's going to be a period piece set in the 1500s and will feature Henry VIII. I'm Henry VIII. Um, uh, another one, and they point out that this is a rumor that, that keeps popping up every year when it comes time for Christmas special, is that they're going to do a Doctor Who version of A Christmas Carol. Carol, and yeah. And that yeah. a certain fourth Doctor might have agreed to come down to play the Ghost of Christmas Past. Hmm. I like um, that. That would worry me a little. BBC just produced four plays, five plays? I can't, I can't remember. Yeah. With Tom Baker as the mm-hmm. Doctor. First time he played the role in nearly 30 years. He played Doctor Who on a series of audio adventures, and they're really bad. The script's bad, his portrayal of the Doctor's pretty bad, and that would worry me. Well, it's um, because I get the impression over the last 15 years, Tom Baker has left what was left of his senses. He's batshit crazy. When they hired him to do the Dungeons and Dragons movie, and he was playing the Elf King, he misunderstood what they said. He thought they said the Elk, E-L-K, yes. the Elk King. He then proceeded to get in an argument with the director about how much more interesting it would be if he was the Elk King rather than the Elf King. <laughs> and, they th- and he thought they should change the script. Wow, you're really crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry because you're one of my childhood heroes. Yeah, I'd rather remember him during exactly. his glory. Because I went to his website and yeah. I looked at a picture of him and he's like fat and he's like... Yeah, all and almost entirely bald at this point. Oh, man. I mean, if I'm going to watch a doctor who has aged badly, I'd rather it be somebody like Peter Davison. Yeah. Or Colin Baker. Actually, Sylvester McCoy seems fairly normal. Yeah. He doesn't look like he's changed much. No. Speaking of Tom Baker, Little Britain, I don't know if you've ever mm-hmm. seen it or not, he did the narration for it, and that comedy kind of was almost like a sketch series in England in the last five years or so. It's a lot of fun. That's the little taste of Tom Baker I'm willing to take. Otherwise, I'll just go watch City of Death. You know? And for those of our listeners who may not have heard the Ray Harryhausen episode, Tom Baker was the bad guy in the mm-hmm. Sinbad movie, memorable performance in there where he played the sorcerer, what was the name, in that wonderful performance. Yeah. I guess that brings us up to date until another couple of years pass on. Well, if you're hungry for Matt Smith stuff, and because I haven't talked enough about Expanded Universe, cool. you guys mentioned through Audible, use their podcast link, they've got that Runaway Train audiobook, it's solely in audio format. Then they've got some novels they've been releasing. Good stuff. There's Smith stuff out there already. IDW is working on developing a Matt Smith era for their comic books. Has anybody tried to get some version of those adventure games? I have. Um, I'm 
not at liberty to say. The Internet Fairy. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> I will say, though, there is a guy. That Internet Fairy I don't, I don't hangs know out with me. kind of thing. Yeah. But there's a guy who produced a video of one of the games. What they did was some guy using some capture equipment on his computer filmed himself playing the game. Going through, including all the cutscenes, and they edited it down, took out some of the scenes, like whenever he fails a task or dies, edited it into a one-hour movie. Really? Because so you, you get all the cutscenes, you see a little bit of the action, what the character has to do to accomplish a task. It's more like watching a story. And there is definitely a story in City of the Daleks, and, and he ends up on Scarrow, and so it's really cool. It's worth it, because I'm not a video game guy. I right. suck at video games. But I'd much rather sit there and watch the cutscenes and watch a guy succeed at the tasks and watch the story. They're worth it. They're out there. Okay. I guess that's it. And it's Woo-hoo. time for the administrative. At the... Two hour and 43 minute mark. For the raw feed. And a lot of fun. Uh, be- yes, of course. Before we pimp ourselves, we give the floor over to the Surrender Monkey <laughs> to pimp his wares. What a nice backhanded compliment. <laughs> I am the Irredeemable Shag. You can find me at my week daily blog, onceuponageek.com. Mm-hmm. That's onceuponageek.com. I also do a bi weekly Firestorm blog, which is about Fires from the Nuclear Man from DC Comics. Me and probably no one else enjoy reading that, but it's a labor of love. Hey, I love, I love Firestorm, too. That's one of the few things we agree on, Shaq. <laughs> I have <laughs> I not read, can't. and from now on I'm going to insist on using a sarcastic phrase, brightest day. How is he being handled? Has I thought um, he was going to be handled? Are spoilers an issue or not? We said at the beginning, spoilers. We I mean, mean for you. Nah, it doesn't matter. I think I'm dropping Brightest Day after next month. Okay. So. You only get a couple of pages per issue of the Firestorm stuff. Right now, Brightest Day is going to be basically Ronnie and Jason's journey. So there's a lot of bickering, a lot of them not getting along. When we come out the back end, they'll have worked through their drama, which I think needs to happen. Yeah. And they're going to be an awesome kick-ass Firestorm team. You killed my Whoopi. No, I didn't. Yes. It was the other guy. You killed my Whoopi. No, I didn't. It was yeah. the other guy. <laughs> yes, they're, they're going to work through all that, and then when they come out the other side, it's going to be awesome. Once Upon a Geek Firestorm fan, I am a semi-regular co-host on Michael Bailey's podcast, Views from the Long Box. Both myself and Michael are part of the Unique Geek. By the way, Views from the Long Box is viewsfromthelongbox.com. Great run of podcasts mm-hmm. there. The Unique Geek is a podcast and a listserv. You can find that at theuniquegeek.com. The podcasts are fairly infrequent. Right now we're doing a countdown to Dragon Con, the convention. But the listserv is a great place for just chatting and talking geek stuff. And then next month I'll be taking over the official hosting slot for Better in the Dark. Derek and I have worked out an arrangement. We're pushing Thomas out. Uh, and we're going to go forward from there. So thank you. I and then Shaq woke up in his little cardboard box. <laughs> hey, I'm in a box! I was in a box with Mr. He slid that in so well. It's going to be interesting to see how people, they listen to it. They say, wait a minute, what did he say? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm on Twitter under Once Upon a Geek. But Why am I not surprised he's using a social media that has the word twit in it? You guys really love well, each other, today, don't you? Sir. I bet you wrote that and you've been waiting to use it for weeks. You guys, you guys really love each other, don't you? Oh, yeah. We're not broadcasting. We're doing each other's hair. Exactly. I hold his hair when he pukes. You, uh, oh, work 11, this. jelly baby eating adric sucker. It's your turn. And I mean you, Tom. Okay, now that we're done with the uh, motocross daredevil-loving Avengers United They Stand apologist surrender monkey shag, there are a number <laughs> of ways that you can reach Better in the Dark. If you want to send us an email, you can do so by dropping a line to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Net. You can join one or both of our message boards. The official message board is at betterinthedark.proboards.com. 
You can follow both Derek and myself on Facebook and join the Better in the Dark Facebook fan page. Woohoo! Maintained by our good friend Keelan B. Conley. Both Derek and I have live journals, which include both our Better in the Dark and non-Better in the Dark adventures. Derek's is Derek Ferguson's Notebook. And Tom's is Space Monkey Mafia. What else is we're there? We're both on Facebook. Yes, we were meant Okay, let's see. What else is there? If you miss any of the information we have given you or want to check out some of our older episodes or the Better in the Dark Hottie Hall of Fame, you can just go to the BITD Central site maintained by our good, good friend, Kelly Logue, at www.bitdsite.com. One more thing I would just like to mention. My good buddy, Joel Jenkins, has a new novel out called Through the Groaning Earth that is available from Amazon.com and also if you go to Pulpwork Press site at www.pulpworkpress.com you can not only get that one but for a limited time you will get a free copy of the previous novel Escape from Devil's Head so go to the pulpworkpress.com and also check out Pulpworks Press for a variety of novels for all your pulp needs got stuff like what Dylan and the Legend of Golem yeah I was thinking actually of Dino's novel oh Love and Bullets Love and Bullets which Uh is kind of like a female spy sort of thing Mm -hmm. we've got Devil Take the Hindmost Vampire Detectives the Dire Planet series we've got a whole lot of fun stuff up there. Yeah. And if this you one, love your pulp adventure stuff. Yeah, and this one through the Groaning Earth, I really recommend this highly This is like an Edgar Rice Burroughs kind of... No, this is more like Robert E. Howard. See, me, I'm more into the Robert E. Howard, mm-hmm. Michael Moorcock, Slash and Hack type of thing. Right. I'm not really into Tolkien and Stephen right. R. Donaldson type of fantasy with orcs and elves and all that other BS. I like guys that go out and steal jewels during the day and winch and party all night mm-hmm. long. Well, that's what Joel writes, so... Right. By all means, get a hold of that. And I believe we're finished with the administrative stuff. I do think we're finished with the administration. Once again, we thank the Surrender Monkey Shag. The Irredeemable Shag. Let's hear it. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. I sincerely appreciate being on your podcast. It's very kind of you to invite me. Oh. Hope I don't leave too bad of a stench behind. No, we're definitely going to have you back, man. This was a lot of fun. Let's break out the airwick right now, okay? Listen, I like this guy. (laughs) I like this guy. Okay, so until next time. Remember, folks, the only thing that's standing between you and bad movies and TV is better in the dark. The next time you think about going to a movie without consulting us, remember your darkest day, and then let somebody else buy that ticket first. Go Go see that movie. movie. Good night. Good night. God bless. Right then, I have questions, but number one is this. What in the name of sanity have you got on your head? It's a fez. I wear a fez now. Fezes are cool. You've been listening to Better in the Dark featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Oh, yeah, and Shaq. Special thanks go out to the Joffrey Street crew, Chin Stroker and Punter, Mike and Dan of Bigger the Inside, Eric Froman, of course, the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark would like to thank Shag and hope he understands why we don't want to talk to his Davison-loving, Orbeloff-slurping, Rose-apologist self again. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. 
please vote for us on Podcast Alley. And why not leave us a review on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.bitdsite.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright Thomas E.J. and Eric Ferguson. Until next time, remember that if you ever walk into a bar to see Brian Cox and Doug Gray Scott drinking together... Call your agent, stat. When it's like they ain't never coming back, Nick and Miss Evangelista, I need to answer God's call day. And the shadows make 4,000 other people disappear, and they've been hungry and waiting for a whole damn year for some fresh meat that isn't gonna register as fame. Gotta focus on all the silhouettes that you can see, cause if the number keeps on changing, then you know you're to me. Got the shadows, got the shadows. Records indicate you will show mercy. You are an associate of the darkness. I'm Rivasol. Check your records again. Mercy. Say it again. Mercy. One more time. Mercy.